everybody wants to rule the world. This is Baron Vaughn, and welcome back to Deep Shit. I'm putting this up late. Yeah, I am. Uh, I wanted to do it last night on uh, Sunday night, but I uh, was just completely wiped from driving back from San Francisco. I was just at the San Francisco Punchline for four shows. If you came out to those shows, fucking thank you. Those shows were fantastic. Shout out to um, Arturo and Juan. Juan, also known as Busta Face. Shout out to you guys for coming out. Fans of the podcast, fans of the comedy, fans of the Twitter and the Instagramins. Uh, really appreciated, guys. And uh, if you are out there and you are a person who likes me, <laughs> I know there's not a lot of you. No, um, I'm going to be around, guys. So let me tell you what I got coming up right now. Um, if you happen to be in Cabo San Lucas, I will be there for the Cabo Comedy Festival. Uh, the festival is longer than I will be there. I'm going to be there on October 3rd and 4th. I'll be doing set list in Cabo on October 3rd. Then this Saturday, guys, this Saturday in Los Angeles, I am doing the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. I may have said it was 7 p.m. that I'm on. That is incorrect. It is 6 p.m. 6 p.m. October 5th, the Los Angeles Podcast Festival, a live deep shit with Dave Ross, a person who has not been a single guest on the show yet, and he will be. Dave Ross is a very funny uh, comedian, a very smart, thoughtful person that I like. Uh, he has a t podcast called Terrified, and he used to be one of the proprietors of the Los Angeles show Holy Fuck that no longer exists. Also, Hassan Minaj. I'm saying Hassan now. I've been saying Hassan. That's incorrect. I'm going to ask him about it. But the least I can do is pronounce a motherfucker's name correctly. Hassan Minaj, who you have heard on this fucking podcast a couple of times. I believe he's done three episodes. And I scored a fan uh, reached out. Daniel Bayer. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you very much. Also, Keisha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they are they have a connection to a philosophy professor named Dr. Pierre Grimes, who, after reading about him, seems to do the exact thing I try to do to myself, the thing I've been obsessed with doing to myself for this whole lifetime. Um, he is the inventor of something called philosophical midwifery. And someone told me it, it actually is midwifery. So let's just say philosophical midwifery. I wouldn't say maybe he's not the inventor of it, but he champions a form called philosophical mid, midwifery that is based on Socratic method, uh, Socratic logic. And it is a practice of philosophy as counseling, like to get motherfuckers feeling better, identifying the root and the cause of whatever it is in their lives that is causing them crisis. And he has uh, created this technique, or at least is the leader of the, 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 the front man of this technique of philosophy that is used as counseling and psychotherapy. And he has worked with people such as uh, Alan Watts or Joseph Campbell. And he also has a thank you from Eldridge Cleaver, in a little book called Soul and Ice. If you are black and listening to this and you do not know Soul and Ice, go check it out. Eldridge Cleaver um, was a very interesting man who uh, was in jail for rape, like you do, probably other things, but I believe convicted for rape. 
and he had a spiritual awakening, a philosophical awakening, an awakening uh, that saw, that showed him what the black man was in America at that time, which was the 70s. And once he got out of prison, he became the Minister of Information for the Black Panther Society. Anyway, Dr. Pierre Grimes helped him get past some psychological fucking blocks so he could write Soul and Ice. What? That guy. Hasan Minaj, Dave Ross, Dr. Pierre Grimes, and me getting fucking deep at the Los Angeles Podcast Festival this fucking Saturday, 6 p.m., October 5th. Please come <laughs> if you can. Um, a lot is going on in the world right now, guys. Fucking Breaking Bad ended. That's over. Breaking Bad is done, guys. Uh, you know what else is done? The United States government. Apparently, there. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, but right now there is this impending governmental shutdown uh, because motherfuckers be fighting. And uh, what else is happening? Miley Cyrus is pregnant with a black baby. No, it's not mine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, and then I am putting up this podcast with guest Nate Craig. Uh, Nate Craig is a comedian that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. We used to be with the same management. We no longer are. I believe that it comes up in this podcast. Um, I think he's a very funny comedian and uh uh, I, I, I always felt like I've only kind of known him, but he has revealed himself to be a thoughtful person uh, to me. I always thought he would be. You know, he's got something going on behind his eyes. So I was like, he's probably got some stuff to say. And uh, I got him on this podcast, and we talk about passion. And uh, it's a very interesting conversation that yields some very interesting anecdotes, stories, revelations, some philosophical midwifery going on, guys. Philosophical midwifery going on. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, also check out all the other podcasts on allthingscomedy.com guys. Uh, you know, here's a couple off the top of my head. Jake, this of Jake Johansson, um, the Tom Rhodes show Monday morning podcast with Bill Burr, uh, the bone zone dork forest, uh, comedy film nerds. Um, actually Graham Elwood of the comedy film nerds is one of the founders of the Los Angeles podcast festival. Uh, so yeah, definitely check out comedy film nerds and there's going to be a lot of podcasts at the podcast festivals besides myself, guys like comedy film nerds, like the dork forest, um, like fucking WTF, the granddaddy of podcasts. Okay. With Mark Marin, is going to be there. Um, trying to think of other people. Welcome to God damn it. I can't remember the name of the podcast. <laughs> Whatever. LAPodcast.com, All things comedy. Dot com. Oh, L.A. Podfest. Son of a bitch. Hey, I just rewound. I just rewound everything. L.A. Podfest.com. All, all things comedy. <laughs> I'm so good at speaking right now, guys. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this podcast with Nate. And uh, freak out. Les chic. Say freak. Everything's going to the beat.
I mean, shit, dude. But by the time I figured out how to use a credit card, um, I had f- fucked myself for a couple of years. How so? I mean, just doing stupid things on it, like just going to Vegas on a credit card. Oh, because you're going to Vegas, guy. Oh, uh, not necessarily, but that that was my first trip to Vegas. It was a bachelor party, and it was like it was like one of my first buddies to get married. I was like, I don't even know, dude. I was 22. Oh, wow. And, and like, is that marriage still a, a thing? It is. And he's wow. Got, they have beautiful. He's my buddy Mike, and he married um, this beautiful uh, woman, and they have three kids. Uh, you were 22 at the time. How old are you now? 36. Okay, so he's been married for 14 years. Yeah. And, he's and like, he got married at 22. 22, dude. Yeah. Fuck. But was he live? Where does he live? Maybe 20. No, no, no. Maybe that was, maybe we were a little bit older. 20, but no, no older than 20. I mean, that was before. Still, it's over 10 years. A lot of stuff happened. That was 20. Dude, I honestly, I I don't think we were 24 yet. Early 20s. He lives in Minnesota. He's a, he's a, he's a high school history teacher in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Oh, okay. That all makes sense then. Angie Angie is, is his wife and they have beautiful half Asian babies. Honestly, the only place that marriages can work are in places that aren't huge cities. This is this is my new theory. Yeah, there's not, there's too much distraction here. There really is it, it, the idea of being with someone that you in that in that capacity where you have to devote yourself to a, maintaining a healthy relationship at a very involved level is uh, daunting to me in a in a place like this. But here's another theory, though, for your friend. I would assume maybe he has close family ties where he is. Is he close to his family? He's close. He's close enough to Ma- to Matt. We're from Madison. He's from. We went to high school together. So mm-hmm. he, and his his folks are there. Her folks are in Minneapolis. So yes, super close. They probably are in a small community. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably involved with Barry. neighbors, Barry. and stuff like that. That's the shit that helps. Like this two person bullshit. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, but like if you if you hunker down to that structure and you have very good friends and family around yeah. you that they're just going to help you through it yeah but this is like everyone out this is the wall right no one on the other side of this wall yeah. don't tell me how to raise my kids yeah, sort yeah. of thing it's bound for failure well some people want that some yeah but they're wrong. So, so, <laughs> i totally agree with you <laughs> i'm just saying some people want it some people need it they think they want it they think that we're supposed to be able to do all this shit ourselves but we're not we're not supposed to be able to do all this shit like by ourselves. You need help. Always need help. Well, I think that it's just those are two sides of the same coin. Like needing other people and being able to tr- tr- trust and to seek out what you need in other people, I think is just the same as like shutting people off and not being able to trust them and not wanting to seek out uh, anything that you may need in them. Be- because I mean I I'm I know which side I'm on, mm-hmm. but I think that as far as like you know survival and fear and needs and wants, like I think those come from the same place. It just they do they just manifest in very different ways, and they come you know I mean, but I, when you seek out other people, mm-hmm. um, you need them. Well, but this is this is what do you mean by need? You know what I mean. You're not going to feel right unless unless you, they're with you. Unless they're with you. Hmm. Okay. Are you asking me that question? Or I'm, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. Well, I mean, I think the thing is that I, I think it's an issue of balance here. But the thing is that you have to fail at both. You have to fail on both sides to figure out what the center is. 
mm-hmm. for yourself. So it's like I, I my theory is that people we started having all these feelings in high school. <laughs> Right. So, real quick, just a, yeah. failing on both sides of privacy and openness. Is yes. That, are those the kind of vague Basically, categories we're dealing with? You, you're failing on the side of uh, really shutting people out mm-hmm. and being like, no, I'm going to do it all myself and not listening to other people and not letting them in. Mm-hmm. And then failing on the side of letting too many people in, let, trusting too many people. Or trusting certain people to an unhealthy Yeah, trusting people to an unhealthy just extent. just being let down. And, yeah. Whether it's an unhealthy extent on your end or they're just an unhealthy person to trust. Right. And you have to, I feel like you have to go down both roads to figure out what your center is because then you learn how to not... You learn which people are, oh... I know I shouldn't trust this person that much. I can only have to keep them at an arm's length. Then there are people that you have to learn how to let in. You sure. know what I mean? Like there are people that you can trust mm-hmm. that are good people mm-hmm. that that you can count on. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to it's hard to sift through the the fucking rough and find those people, but they can be found. They exist. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you consider yourself one of those people. Mm-hmm. But we're not all that to everybody. We're only that to a few bodies, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So my theory on it is that, like, we, we err on either one of those sides because of mistakes that we made a long, long time ago. That is sort of like, you know, people try to rewrite the story. Sure. So it's just kind of like you, if you could say a cynic is a person who, more than anyone, wants to love and trust people. But they're so fucking sensitive that the one or two or three times that they've actually let themselves do that, it didn't work out in the way they wanted it to work out. Anyway, that's it blanket like you choke on chicken once mm-hmm. like a chicken bone you're like that's it no more fucking chicken <laughs> but they go to the extent of like meat i'm done with meat the concept of eating no more i'm done with it that's what a cynic is but you... they want to open up to somebody badly but it's because we made these mistakes when we were younger before we were too before we were uh old enough to you know here's my metaphor my well that's but that's but that so that i mean it sounds like you just articulated what i was trying to say earlier yeah it does sound like that those those are the same that is the same place you know what i'm saying like they just for whatever reason they they have decided that because of the young mistake the cynicism is there is there is there the path uh you know the most the safest path for them the, the safest path here's my other thing is that uh, i call this the uh <laughs> the needle i Got my wisdom teeth out on New Year's Eve of 2009. Just so I know, what kind of needle are we dealing with? Like this, the crowd measure needle? Or no, are no. Are we dealing with the, the, the wisdom the, teeth the scratching out? Scratching needle? needle that went into my arm. Oh, the needle. Oh, yes. Oh, this is a story. This is a story. Okay, okay, okay. I had to get my wisdom teeth out because I didn't have health insurance for like 12 years. And then suddenly I did. And I went to the dentist and found out that my, I had these wisdom teeth that were, my top ones were impacted. And my bottom ones were ex- like kind of above the gums, but they were in a position that they just could not be cleaned. So he's like, it doesn't matter how much you brush, those are going to decay no matter what. And he showed me an x-ray and he's like, that's the decay, that's the nerve. Those are way too close. If those touch, you're not going to have a good time. So I had to get all four <laughs> wisdom teeth out right on the same day. Great drugs. Great drugs. But I ended up being in Vegas like for the holidays with my family. And then I went to some place and they said, we're going to have to shoot you up with some crap. You know, we're going to put you down, put you, put you down <laughs> like the dog you are. <laughs> and they're like, oh, um, dog teeth, the needle, this needle, it'll be a small prick, right? The thing that any nurse, any doctor says, it'll just be a small prick, a small pinch. You'll feel a small pinch, right? Mm-hmm. Something we have been told since the first time we ever experienced a needle at five. 
or six or whatever, it'll just be a small prick. But you were a small kid with a small arm. Mm-hmm. That needle was the size of your arm. Mm-hmm. And they said it'll be a small prick, and they fucking stick that gigantic thing in your arm. You're like, what is this? That's a small prick? I will never trust you again. I never trust needles again, right? So we spend a lot of our time being afraid of needles. I remember how it felt the first time I ever got poked with a needle. That's how it's always going to feel, we think, right? But as an adult, they're like, it's going to be a small prick. I saw the needle. I'm like, that's not as – that's a small needle. Then they, they put the needle in my arm. I'm like, oh, my God, it was a small prick. I'm an adult now. Mm-hmm. The needle has stayed the same size. That was your journey. That was my journey. So, the needle's the same size. I'm four times the size I was. So it doesn't hurt. Like, I don't have to be afraid of it like I was because I've changed and the needle stayed the same. Mm-hmm. You dig my meaning? Yeah. I got you. <laughs> um, I love your, your face. It's just like, when am I going to get to talk? That's what, no, that's no, what no, no, that's not at all what I'm thinking. That's not at all what I'm thinking. <laughs> I know, I know. I've, I, just, I just think that, uh, I think, I think that the analogy is perfect because, um, I mean, well, first of all, I don't look at the needles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that is that is exactly uh that's exactly what it is at some point in your life you just realize that um that you don't need to be scared of certain things anymore and um and uh, you know and that's i don't know that's maybe when you reward yourself but we spend a that's lot how of time, you reward yourself we spend a lot of time fueling that fear Right, like it's yeah. just like oh that happened. I'm scared of that. I can never fucking yeah. Have that running up that credit card debt, Joe. running up that credit card, the credit card of your lo- of your love, uh-huh. <laughs> the credit of your trust, the, cr- the credit card of your of your own your own uh, resourcefulness, mm. emotional resourcefulness. Because if if you if you can't uh, if you just if you just keep horseshitting around like that, uh, you know, eventually you're gonna run into a wall, and then. And then you just uh, you have to you just keep running into the same fucking wall. Mm. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know, I call you it know. the wall. You know, well, no, that's true. <laughs> when I, mean, I was a, a wall. kid, it's, it's a blockade. It's a whatever. Um, a judge. It's a it's a forward. It's a power forward that can block. Right. That's my sports metaphor. Marcus you're from the, you're from the Midwest. You're Marcus Canby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. You were gonna say though, I cut you off. Oh no, no, no. I mean, it's but we're we're on the same page. I mean, I, uh, yeah, dude. I, I think when you when you when you have those wonderful uh, aha moments in your life where you can you realize that that certain things that you put a lot of weight into don't have that weight. Um, that's a wonderful moment. And what makes it uh, lasting, I think, is when you realize that you were really in charge of the weight that it had in the first mm. place. Okay. And um, you know, like like uh, some of those. You know, people that you you uh, you thought of, or that you were you were mentioning that you you learn over your life that you, you sh- those are not the people that you should allow in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how that uh, relates to what I just said was like I I feel like sometimes I'm in charge of how those people affect me um, and why I pursue them or want to associate with them. Is because um, my da- my voices in my head um, see them as very suitable surrogates, um, very articulate, very uh, neat, interesting, smart, biting, hateful surrogates outside of my own brain, and so I seek those people out 
um, I to take the place of take the place of my your own voices. inner judges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My inner Ooh. judges. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I definitely have noticed that in in a couple relationships in my life because um, I know I can bully myself. Um, but getting someone else to bully you, getting somebody else to ooh, bully, and me then I can have sex with that person. Well, or at least, <laughs> or, or 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 I can or I can uh, jerk myself off uh, by trying to you know trying to fix them or trying to change them or trying to win them. You know, I can win myself as well. Um, I know that, hmm. um, but I but 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 having somebody else, you know, represent you know your and it's it's it works the same way with uh, it works the same way with. Um, with uh, the people that, that, that you that you love and the people that are good to you, the people that are good to themselves and the people that succeed and shit. It's like, it's, uh, you know, it, it extends itself all the way through our culture and our, the you know, our I think our society. I think that's what people want to see on TV, you know, the whole kind of reality um, TV kind of sensationalism now is we want to see people either, you know, win the gold medal or die in a ball of their own fat. <laughs> that's what we want to see. That's it. We don't want to see nothing in between. Not a damn thing. They're either fantastic. Maybe a story about a kid on the news who saves dogs from the pound. That's right. it. Otherwise. Very, very high or very, very low. Very, very high. Very, very low. Mm. And that is, uh, that is. Well, that, I can also see that like in what's uh, Extreme Makeover is a very perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Because the original show was about taking quote unquote gross people. Mm-hmm. And then making them beautiful. The best they could be. The best they could be, but by someone else's standards, uh, yeah. right? But then it became, and that's kind of awful in a way. It's just like, why can't you just love this person for who they are? But they've got so much baggage because of how they look and what they've been told their entire lives. So I see the merit to like, oh, now I've got all this surgery and makeup and I feel better about myself. But then Extreme Makeover Home Edition. <laughs> Was a whole different fucking. Hold up, did they give him plastic surgery on Extreme Makeover? They, I think they used to give him plastic. Maybe it was the Ugly Duckling. There was another show oh, or something. I think it was called the Ugly Duckling, where it was like they gave people surgery. There's got to be a show with surgery. They did liposuction and breast implants, sure, nose jobs, and nose jobs, Botox and, and eye lifts, yeah, and all sorts of shit to make that person look quote unquote beautiful. Now, why not? It was, but then the ones that were the best were people who never, they didn't have surgery. They just figured out how to dress mm-hmm. or, or cut their hair in a certain way that was like, oh, now they are like, they just clean themselves up and then now they know what that looks like. <laughs> that was where I was like, okay, that's valuable. It's using what you got <laughs> instead of changing what you got, right? I, I didn't know, but I, I, need to buy, I need to buy denim with elastic in the waist. I need to buy denim with elastic, brush my teeth once or twice <laughs> a, a day. Uh, so extreme... Uh, makeover home edition which i never really watched because it seemed too fucking intense extreme extreme makeover home edition aka marcus canby aka ty pennington (laughs) they would go to people's homes and this was like it became like an inspirational show where it was like they would get these letters from people who are just like destitute poor and all this stuff and they'd come in and redo home where they live yeah jesus yeah so it was like that was an extreme high we're that just like we're t- we're we're giving these pe- these people quote unquote these people a better life by giving them a better home, you know what I mean? Their dream home. Their dream home, mm-hmm. exactly. And they'll feel better and be better and all that stuff for it. So that was like that was like a gold medal of life yeah. of just kind of like here's your new awesome fucking home. Everything is the way that you ever dreamed. That's not Marcus Canby. That's there's that's no blocking Mar- going. That's yeah. That's Steve Nash. That's oh yeah yeah. That's an assist. Yeah. <laughs> 
I am I'm struggling on the sports sorry, metaphors, sorry, but stop, I'm with I'll you. Stop, I'll at least stop. at least know who Steve Nash is. I'll stop. Um, so that's interesting that you say that because it also this also kind of also naturally brings us around to what our topic is because what you were just saying about like that's really fascinating about finding people who are extensions of these judges inside your head for them to manifest themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, cause they can come up with shit you couldn't think of. Now I got more, more right. that, that judge has more. Oh, well, ammo. well said dick face <laughs> <laughs> because I have, my pattern has been sometimes not you, but I mean like, you know, when you no, see, I know you hear... you're in the character. I right. trust me. I know what you meant. Sorry. <laughs> Audience. You never know how sometimes you Nate, hear like, Nate Craig was that, not that, calling me a dick face. That, right there. that podcast went really, really well. And then you listen to it, you're like, Oh, it really sounded like I, I got into a fight once about face. Todd glasses podcast on uh, WTF. Yeah. When he came out to Mark uh, Marin. I got to into it. a fight with a friend of mine about that. Why? Because he thought that Mark Marin stepped on Todd Glass coming out of the closet. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? That was a bit. Oh. That was a bit. He's like, no, oh. Mark said it for him. He didn't get to say it for so like you think that Todd Glass didn't talk to Mark and be like, Oh, I want to do this bit uh -huh. where we're gonna do it this way. I'm like, that's that was a bit. Yeah. There was no way that Mark jumped the gun. I think that was a fucking agreed upon bit. Yeah. And I got into a a fight with my friend about it. It was hilarious. So he came out as an asshole. Um, get it? Nope. All right. So anyway, I have learned from myself, my pattern has been trusting people I shouldn't trust. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? It's interesting because our subject is passion. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're going to define what that means for you and how it manifests itself in your life. But first, <laughs> if we're talking about lust desire sexual passion which is an act which is a, a a part of it of course before i came here i thought of three different kinds areas, of passions areas of my life and that is without question one of them i have learned that i have fallen pretty consistently for the seemingly quiet mysterious girl who turns out to have borderline personality disorder <laughs> uh -huh. in the end is kind of crazy uh -huh. and really doesn't have has been has been beaten down a little bit by being really sensitive mm -hmm. or and they've always kind of been slutty but like not slutty in the way that you would expect like they're kind of like girl next door types mm -hmm. that are really sensitive and have had so much shit in their heads and been told to them that they don't know what the fuck they want yeah and i think i can guide this girl to an island where she will like to exist and be the woman that she always was meant and be, to be. And, and it's, I didn't realize it was like, I'm trying to fix this person, mm -hmm. which is the fucking worst, the dumbest possible reason you could see someone for myself. I have learned fixing is unrealistic. It's unrealistic. Fixing and changing someone growing with someone is always v intoxicating. And I don't think too lofty, but it, it, isn't it's it's more of uh, an endeavor than I think. Well, uh, that's a but that's an interesting distinction. I think growing with someone is the way to go. Yeah, for sure. Because when you want to fix or change someone, the implication is I'm already good. Right, right. I'm fine. Yeah. They just need to be something different. Sure. Then we can grow together, <laughs> which is stupid. Which I have realized is something that I have done, and those girls tend to trigger my. My passion. They tend to trigger my lust. You have power. Because not, not necessarily power, just I'm confused by them. You have power. 
Well, no. Oh, I have power. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, if you, if your instinct is to, from the get, say I can, I can help this person. I know what this person. I can give. I can bestow. Yes. Not that 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 is a. a but it's a, me telling myself I have power. You have power. I have some sort of power. That's or, absolutely or just correct. Not even. You don't even have to tell yourself. Uh, Baron, first of all, I'm sure you do have a tremendous amount to offer these women that you keep falling for, uh, but you just feel it. It's natural. It's your own natural instinctive, you know, hubris. And I maybe that's not the best word. Is that no is hubris that is necessarily a, good word. a pejorative? I mean, I just think that you feel it. But it's it not- is pejorative. It should be hubris is a tragic flaw. Is it? It's it's hubris is arrogance. To a fault. Okay. Right. Then Where you're just like, then that's not the right word. I, I'm not. Well, that's I'm, not... I'm saying it's the right word for me. Okay. okay I'm saying okay. that I have I have the hubris with these girls. Well, I'm. Where I just think I can do something. I can do something for them that no one else. You can. You might take it to that point, but it's just a natural confidence. Is all I'm saying. It's right. Just a natural confidence that you have that you you know that you have a certain brand of of masculinity that would that would appeal to this mysterious flower that you have stumbled upon in the woods but it also <laughs> is like she's so confused by what she wants and has and and in some cases ran over every man in their path that i am going to be the one that she doesn't run over i'm oh. going to be the one that do, uh, has control okay well that yeah that's as it. opposed to she's a tractor with no driver, uh, <laughs> a tractor with no driver. she's a tractor with no driver that's just on about and, to, and about, about to, to enter a field full of over delicious crick. Yeah, and that's filled with squirrels and young children that don't know they're about to be maimed. I think I can run and get in that tractor seat, <laughs> and I can use this to grow something to farm with. That's it. I've learned. Well, but here's the thing. Listen, the, if wait, wait, else, but, you got this wonderful tractor analogy that you can tell. That's, a, that's a hell of a tractor analogy. <laughs> But that's the thing is that like those girls have tended to trigger in me this passion, this they're looking to me for something that they can't get to from anybody else mm-hmm. or I can provide it. Mm-hmm. And then it gets fucking fucked up and confusing and then it turns into this yes, no, push me, pull you sort of thing where it's just kind of like I, we can't talk. I don't want to see you. You're just we're toxic. This is awful. Don't talk for a week. I get a text at two two o'clock in the morning. Are you up? No. Do you want to come over? Is no. This, this, Just come over. Is this okay. all, all on your part or their part as well? It's it's. A, I, I can only speak for myself. Okay. So it's 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 both. It's push me pull you. This this kind of t- it comes becomes this toxic. So what relationship. becomes what becomes the? But uh, I'm saying that most... I my brain is equating that to this passion. Yeah. This kind of like oh, oh okay okay it turns it into this fucking. Poetic. All right. Well, then, what's torrential? The, what, is torrent. the, what is the uh, torrent in That's these the in these relationships? As they, no, it is. It's exactly what it is. It's it's a. Uh, it, it just goes torrent affair. It torrid. It flows torrid affair. It flows positive and negative. And, yes. And what is the what is the deficiency and what is the what is the strength of these relationships when they pr- when they progress? Like what the, the the strength is is the well um, the cracks begin to show you know eventually. But that's the other thing is that like. There's a party that doesn't want to give up. I know I should abandon ship. That I don't bring out the best in this person. This person doesn't bring out the best in me. I can't fix them. I can't change them. I usually get to the point where I learn. I figure that out. Do you choose wisely based on this um, kind of uh, paternal strength and wisdom that you feel? 
Do I choose wisely? Like, do, 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 do the women that you choose, do they tend to seek out what it is that you feel that you have to offer them? No, not always. I'm talking about when it goes wrong. Okay. 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 Right. 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 Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. Because when it goes wrong is when I've learned I've learned that I get even more involved, and I get even more confused when it's when when I'm going down the wrong path, and I'm like, this is this is careening out of control. Is that when you like them more than they like you? I don't know. I do feel that that shift does happen sometimes where they're all of a sudden the ones who are steering, and I'm like, what? I'm the tractor. How did this happen? It's never fun when someone else is in control. Never fun when somebody's driving your tractor, bro. Uh, well, it's just like I, I start to care about them. Yeah, you know, I sure. care about them. I care about their well-being. I, I start to realize I'm not the one that can bring whatever it is that they need. Whatever it is that they need might not be something that they can seek or find in another person. You know what? This isn't. And that's when you me. choose to move on and, and you attach, you detach uh, relatively harmlessly. Yeah. I it, it very much will follow a talk of like this. This is what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think this is unhealthy. I think this is, and I haven't done this for a while. I mean, it's been like I, I kind of had something within the last couple of years where it was like this girl was just all over the place with what she did and didn't want, and would just do things to do them yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and that's where I start to say it's like borderline personality disorder. She's compulsively doing things that she doesn't even know how she feels about just to do them, just to see what will happen, mm-hmm. just to see how it will affect other people. And then a, a mutual friend of ours said about this girl, some people just like to fuck up their lives. Mm-hmm. They just like to get into because and she once said that she got addicted to this woe is me. Uh-huh. sort of idea about herself yeah. where it's just like everything is against everyone's against me and everything is against me and nothing's going to work out that she found for herself that she's addicted to that idea she said that to you she yeah. said that after we had like oh, became well, if, friends if somebody can articulate that and not change it immediately then they're worthless well that's the problem i since i've taken steps away away from her she's able to articulate that but i'm no longer present to see how it manifests itself uh-huh. so because she'll articulate that i don't talk to her for a month then she calls me because something has gone horribly wrong in her life, <laughs> right? Then we'll hang out for like two days with, not, you know, as friends. She'll tell me everything that goes on. I'm like, but what about the last time I saw you? You, you seemed like you had such a handle on shit. Yeah. And that's what happens. She gets to this high where she's like, I think I, I can do shit. I think I'm in control. Then she takes on too much shit. She gets buried under it, and the cycle repeats itself. Yeah. We're talking about a different person now. Different but person. I'm just saying that, like, girls like that. Mm-hmm tend to trigger in me this sometimes desire and lust. I see that like, ooh, that girl is going to be incredible in bed (laughs) or something like that. That this confusion and this passion and this fire, which isn't necessarily constructive or destructive, it just is. I've read all these things as passion. Right. Well, it creates a passion. It creates. This, this, whatever it is, the power that you feel and what you have to offer this one. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a fine line between um, how much of it is their vulnerability and your own uh, sense of um, leverage or maybe um, just to force, like, uh, Mm. as far in the dynamic of, uh, you know, the, the exchange between you two. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but. I, I feel like when I, when I get into that situation and I'm, and I'm attracted to um, a, certain, a certain woman for, for whatever reason, um, I'm not sure. I lose track of how much um, I'm just 
I've already been through. Like how, how much of it is, is, is a unique encounter and how much of it is just, I just want to, it's just making my dick hard. Like, I know, I know this chick's going to make my dick hard. Like, and I mean that in more than just a physical way. Like, I, like, I mean, that how, is she, she can make me feel that power. Am I going to feel like I have something to offer this woman? Never mind if I've already seen this woman, not to be, not to pass judgment on anyone, but at a certain point you have to demand of yourself an ability. You, yeah, maybe, I mean, I just expect myself to be able to, uh, assess who I'm dealing with mm-hmm. and be like relatively quickly and efficiently. This person's not giving me what I'm pretending they're giving me right now hmm. or, 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 you know, just admit, okay, I just want to fuck this woman. I just want to fuck this woman. I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to grow with this person. You know, it's all about me mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm pretending it's all about them. <laughs> What is this going to do for Mr. Craig? Is what's going on. <laughs> right. How's Mr. Craig? You're, you you made Mr. Craig a third person. So that way you'd be like, Mr. Craig. Uh, you're just talking for Mr. Craig all the time. So you don't have to you don't have to accept any responsibility. I think Ryan Singer has a joke about that where he starts referring to himself as it. Yeah. Oh, it's just so like good. That's the third person impersonal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he doesn't have to take any responsibility for it's re- really like, funny it. It did what? <laughs> oh, it needs to, it needs some counseling. It did what? Yeah, that's um, such a funny bit. Uh I'm thinking about like some of the girls I've had maybe the best sex I've ever had with yeah. I've ever had in my life. Yeah. All of them ended in some sort of fiery blaze <laughs> of yelling and a lot of the times just disc- just literally no like they just stop talking to me or i stop talking to them just like cutting out huh. excising from just like really? this is it i can't be, i can't talk to you i can't know you that's i mean <clears throat> that is a classic you know i think that's classic like like you're 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 whoever just sets you off uh, for better, but m- more often than not, probably for worse. Um, yeah. You're going to have fiery, passionate, you know, a fiery chaotic, place. you know, wild, fucking animalistic. But sexual. that's also like the girls, or those are the girls where I feel like I've had the best sex with in my life, but that's not necessarily the girls who I believe are the loves of my life. Because I, the girls that I believe are the loves of my life are still, in a way, in my life. Because yeah. we, we, stopped seeing each other mm-hmm. in a way that was amicable and that sure both of us needed some time to be like I got all these feelings I got to kind of you know stuff them down before I can be around you again yeah but like w- they're still like important to me sure and I've only been able to recently real like name them because a friend of mine asked me I had a thing with a woman that was just kind of fucking crazy mm-hmm. and my friend was like y- who are the loves of your life you know she's like because she 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 said because those are the girls that you need to when you see when you articulate who you believe these girls are you're going to see what it is that happened with each of those girls and that's what it is that you need to create that you need to look for just like those are the archetypes and this this woman that you had a thing with told you this no no it was a female friend well my best friends who's female Okay, okay. No, I was telling her about something I was having with a girl, with a Is woman. That's some heavy shit to listen to while somebody's driving your track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. This one of my closest friends is a female woman. Is a female woman, uh, as opposed to a female man. I've met a couple. Um, 
and she, I was telling her about this breakup I was going through with this woman, and she told me, you need to articulate to yourself who the loves of your life are because that will reveal to you what it is that you're actually looking for. Those are the qualities that you're looking for. Every time that you've been with this kind of girl, it's been fucking great. Everyone feels good about themselves, and it ends well in the end as well. So why not spend your time pursuing that person? Because that's so... Boring? Consuming. <laughs> I don't know if it's boring. I just think it's a significant investment. It, it can be, yeah, sure. I mean, separating from someone emotionally with respect takes a lot out of you. In each situation, though? It doesn't take, it, all, it, doesn't take it all out of you. I mean, it gives you a lot. You definitely grow. Well, I got lucky in, but in my situations where I didn't have to actually... We didn't live in the same city. Yeah. Which is part of the reason it didn't end up working out. Nice move by you. Where it's like, no, we we moved. We were in the same city. Mm -hmm. Then one of us moved or had to be somewhere else for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And then it was like when it didn't work out, it's like, okay, well, I don't have to run into that person every fucking day. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to see them for at least eight months. I know for certain. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to see them for eight months. Now we li I live in Los Angeles. She's in New York. I haven't seen her for a couple years now. So mm -hmm. it's fine. Right? Or something like that. But then we still talk. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. This is careening. <laughs> this tractor is going to a different uh, place. I guess I want to ask you about your definitions. You said you had come up with a couple different. Well, just a couple different, passion. a couple different incarnations. So, what are Nate Craig the incarnations of passions that you see manifesting in your life? Well, there's definitely love and women. Love and women. Um, there's definitely no, not love and basketball. Very different. Very different. Very different. Um, I mean, there, there is, there is, there are very, there are several different loves of several different games. Okay. And um, I would say um, definitely. Um, love and women. Love and women. Um, and then politics and my ideas about the world. Politics and philosophy. Philosophy. And then there is also, um, and this is going to, this is going to, start off so poorly it's sports and i think overall what that really translates into for me um my own um existence like my my religion my, my energy I, I wouldn't say yeah i mean I, sports you, you, is you, a religion it is it, <laughs> it is it is it is but i but i um it's a structured i'm gonna tie i'm not gonna tie my um my fandom to uh, the philosophy. I think that's more, for me, that's more close to my, um, my ideas about uh, our species and our existence on the planet. Yeah, but that's, I mean, philosophy is more ideas. Yes. Well, sports is active. But yeah, Even but, when you're right. a spectator, it's an active participation. Primarily, my passion co comes from, from the activity. Right. The activity of it is, is, is more so. And so in that, in that respect... Um, and and the things that I need. Do from you it. want to join my kickball team? The things that I get passionate about. I'm serious about the kickball team. Yes, that's <laughs> there is there is <clears throat> there is no circumstance why I will turn down a game of kickball. I I honestly was driving the other day and I saw a bunch of adults in uniforms <laughs> playing kickball in a park, and I thought that looks incredible. Is there a kickball league? And I looked it up, and there is. There's a world kickball league. Yeah. So I'm, I have to put together a team. Yeah. But it seems like it might be insane. I don't know if I have the the wherewithal to really organize 
15 people being a kickball team and getting sponsors and all that shit. Like, like, like a little league. But anyway, you're saying activity of sports. It's kickball leagues are great. First of all, it'll be well worth your while. Have you ever played in one? It's fun. It's no. just a bunch of adults being ridiculous. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. But it sounds like some you people do are have really to, serious about you it. You do have to organize. I'd shit. want it that's... to be a bunch of comedians, which is already hard. Yeah. We're half of us are not here every other week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But continue what you're saying. Um, I don't know. Like, sports activity. Sports might have been the... Th- and it's about energy? It's about the focusing it's of about energy. energy? I should just say energy because because I'm going to tie it to things that are way more important to me than sports. But what that... But en- sports is a means of focusing that energy. Whereas whether it's, like I said, being a spectator is still active. And then playing sports is physical activity, yeah. exercise. Yeah, yeah. You know, expenditure. Yeah, and it's, uh, and it's all just... It's all just um, but you're passionate about sports. It's real. It's it's really just a kind of you know, this is going to sound so fucking corny. Do it. A, a, an exercise in this 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 animal that we're all born with. You're talking about your body. Body. That's horribly corny. Super. It is. <laughs> it's but that, but I but I don't know any no, other, any joking. other way to I don't know any other way to put it. Like you, you like sometimes sometimes I just like you got to work your animal. Yeah, you gotta work it out. Otherwise, otherwise, it's gonna punish you. Like it's, and I mean, th- that it can do. And like, I don't know, man. I uh, I just have always like it's always been something I've really, really needed. And when I've gotten hurt or whatever, uh, that's been like that's really put a put a kink in everything I've done uh, throughout my life. If I haven't, you know, if I haven't been able to walk for a couple months or whatever. Uh, it throws off your routine. Totally. Which is, as a comedian, yeah, so impossible to find one <laughs> in right. general. Yeah, so that's definitely part of my routine. And and uh and it's hard to it's hard to and so you know, and, and as you get older, like you, you know, it it does that passion does so I remember when I was a kid and I and I was playing hockey. I first started playing hockey and it was full contact. Oh man, I would absolutely just wait until I could just fucking steamroll some kid like i wanted to destroy another child hmm. as and I, how know, old I, were you i was i don't know seventh grade eighth grade okay so like you know and then, and then and then through high through high school and then in college i didn't play in college but i you know i mean it was still we played intramurals and and whatever and, and playing a, a leagues hockey you know hockey's a, just a violent sport with sticks and so like and know, ice and blades but, but, but as a kid when I was learning to kind of assert myself and be competitive and do these things that, you know, it was impressed upon uh, me. That was a word I was going to say earlier, by the way, when you mentioned sports, competitive energy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I don't, if I can't do that and then that, that just, just dwells in my head, this, cause I, there is a, there is a certain amount of, of catharsis that I have to get from from imposing myself on things, <laughs> and if that's making a jump shot over somebody at this point now, I'm I'm able to kind of temper it. But as a kid and as a young man, I had no other way than to try and hurt someone. And I'm not a violent dude at all. I've never been a fighter. I mean, I have punked out of a lot of fights. I've fought, but I've 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 you know, it. But a fight is not necessarily it's not positive. No, I mean sport fighting it's, is a it's different not necessarily thing. negative though. Yeah, like some boxing people, could be positive. Well, street fights. Some guys like to fight. Yeah, some but guys assholes. like to fight, and they want not necessarily that like to fight in the street just strangers. 
sometimes they want to do it. Sometimes they both want to do it. That's it, still, I, I can't be around those people. I know. And no, 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 absolutely. And, and, and they're hard. They, you know, that's a different kind of cat, but I got buddies, close buddies who like to brawl and they, they will do it to a fault. They will do it to their own detriment. Showing up and getting in jail and mm-hmm. and they wow. break parts of their body. You know, I fucking broke my hand in a fist fight, and and that was one of the dumbest things I ever did. And that's where I kind of, you know, learned. And and I'm not like I said, I was never a fighter. I was never a tough guy ever. But it was the I, company you kept. I was incredibly competitive, and I still am incredibly competitive. And that is something that I grapple with, and that is definitely an energy that I need to get a hold of. And I and I I deal with that through just my passion for competing in a man, more manageable sense. And well, with structure, with structure, yeah. With if you break your breaking your hand is not the point of the competition. <laughs> breaking your hand to someone's face. That's that's it's a, tr- it's a game. That's driving your own tractor straight off. It's a driving cliff. your tractor, you got to work out your animal. And you got to drive your tractor. There's two lessons that Nate Craig and I can give you today. Dog, and you can't necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes you got to let your animal drive, but you got to know when to let your animal you drive. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know, know when to fold them. You got to <laughs> know when to walk away. Know when to run. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so let's talk about. So we're we're still in the midst of. Sports energy because you're this is the one that you have the most difficulty articulating, I guess. Sounds like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other ones you're like, this one, this one, this other one, no, I'm not exactly sure how to explain. I don't know. I just, I've just, but I, I also, I'm not a short, I'm not a sports guy. Yeah. So the, the other two I can relate to more. There's a shorthand here because I get those. Uh-huh. But the sports thing, I've never really been into sports. Yeah. Even though I have a joke now that I'm like, I'm thinking about getting into sports just because it would be nice to believe in something for a change. <laughs> that's funny. Just, that's why I'm saying it's like a religion Yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's like when I see a lot of people look at people who like sports and they see the amount of energy they expend and they go, that's fucking stupid, right? But I've come around to, is it? Is it stupid? Because it looks like everyone's having a lot of fun. Oh, so much fun. And it looks like everyone's getting along really well. Yeah. It looks like those people have good friendships and good families. Yeah. Maybe I could participate at that. Dude, I went down to the beach yesterday, and I played basketball with a couple gangbangers and a schizophrenic. We played 21 for about an hour and a half. And then I shook hands, and I walked away, and I went in the ocean. I just watched a documentary. That is probably the closest I have ever been to sports, to being a sports person. <laughs> the documentary is called I Am Street Fighter, the video game Street Fighter. I'm an athlete now. It was in my Netflix queue. It's, it wasn't. I was on, someone put it on YouTube. Watch the documentary. If you're listening to this, you would, if you're listening to my podcast, you will enjoy this documentary. Street Fighter 2, the video game. It's been around for 25 years, almost 30 years, right? Uh-huh. It's changed the face of fighting game. It invented the fighting game. There was Street Fighter 1, but Street Fighter 2 kind of did some shit that no other game really did. And they, they kind of delineate the, that Street Fighter 2 is like modern-day chess in that there's all these different players with all these different abilities, all these different combinations of things. There are – the arcade is the basketball court that people would come – 
And it, they said it. It's like it was your local quick convenience store or there was an arcade down the street that you went to. And there were other kids there playing this game from all walks of life. That's what somebody said. He's like, you're there with investment bankers. You're there with people who have like teardrops tattooed on their face. Yeah. You're there with foreign exchange students that speak no English but played this in their own country. Yeah. And it all, they all, everyone speaks the same language. And it's just about reading the other player and using different characters and that it's spawned this international community that has various different contests and people who are professional fucking Street Fighter gamers. Mm-hmm. The big one seems to be this one in Vegas called Evolution. It draws like 15,000 people to it. It's a $25,000 cash prize if you win. It's like putting yourself up again. And I remember like, wow, that's what I did. I used to go to the, the, the fucking convenience store down the street and play this game. My mom got married at this place called the Circus Circus in Vegas. The Shut second, this, I'm, I'm from Vegas. So that's right, that's like, right, that's right. So the second so floor. So Circus Circus is something the townies do? I was in a, I was in a fucking suit. I, Mortal Kombat 2 had just come out. Oh, shit. I was killing it on that game. Congrats, Mom. Give me some quarters. Yeah, I did. I was like, <laughs> I, that's literally what I did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I went to the second floor with my friend Norman, and I got in the, the queue, you know, because you were playing, and you put your quarter up on one side to be next. Once that person's died, you're next. I played Mortal Kombat 2, and I was just kicking people's asses. And that you knew you were good when you kicked Asian kids' asses. <laughs> when the Asian kid, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, came up to play, everyone was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is like, this is something's going to happen. And then I would kick that person's ass to the point where they're yelling at me as they're walking away from me. You're fucking cheap! You're, his friends are holding him back. I'm like, <laughs> you lost, dude. So it's like, they were talking about that's how you got better, is that when you lost in front of people. What was his reason? Why? Because you kept doing the same move with like one of the characters? I kept doing the same move. He just, I, expl- I found his weakness and I exploited it. <laughs> he did not know how to break a certain thing that I was doing. Anything that he did, I could fucking interrupt it. Exploited your weakness, bro. That's, but that's exactly it. That's what they're talking about, like the strategy that comes out of what you would see as a video game. And I'm like, I could have just been a little less poor <laughs> and, and I would have I would have went down this path of being like a professional street fighter player. I'm I'm okay at it now, but I'm not I'm not as good as I, as I was when I was a kid and finding out like glitches, there were glitches in the game that you could do certain things. There was this one glitch. So this documentary hit hard. It did. There was this one glitch. You remember the character Guile? Yeah. He's like the military guy, American guy with the blonde uh, fucking yeah, yeah. There was this one glitch where you could do this thing next to if the character was like grabbing distance, you could do this thing and it was a glitch in the game, but it was like a specific combination that you could do, which I mastered, in that the person would just suddenly be frozen. You'd freeze that character and you move around and they would move with you. You jump there with you. They can't and the person's like, What the fuck? They're hitting all the buttons, they don't know what the hell's going on, and the character won't was just frozen until you punched them in the face. And I remember figuring out how to do that glitch and people couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't. But that's the they closest. They still talk about that. Circus they still circus. talk about that. No, that's the closest I ever got to being like in that competitive nature. A janitor at Circus Circus. A janitor at Circus Circus. talking about you right now. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the closest I ever got to that competitive group. <laughs> really? It's a group thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, because I played basketball and I played baseball 
and soccer when I was younger. I yeah. played football with my friends, but I tried to play those three things in leagues. Yeah. Right. But I was never any good at it and I was never any bad at it. Right. The thing is that I was just kind of I was a good utility player. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't amazing, but I wasn't horrible. My problem, especially in basketball, I think too much. Yeah. I was but I was starting to get to the point where I could match my emotions to what I was thinking. Yeah. So it's like if I would have stayed in basketball, I would have been a good point guard or something. You know, just kind of con- having some good control over the court. You know, no like I would have had assists up the waz. Some field goals here and there. But like I just it wasn't my I don't know. I got scared to go outside because of shootings. <laughs> So no joke. I just fucking stayed in, dude. Yeah, that was my gangster experience. They're outside. I know where they're not in here with my grandma. Right. This is where I am safe. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, it was like that. It was like that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. See, it was just like I just decided not to go outside because it just started getting rougher. Yeah. And it was like gang shit going on, and I'm right. like, I didn't want to be in the middle of it, especially because a lot of my friends got sucked up and sucked up into that shit. Yeah. And it was like these are literally the only people I know. So if I continue to hang out with them, I will get sucked up in that shit. Yeah, no question. And I just saw New Jack City. Right. Perhaps I'll stay inside today. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> or I'll go to this arcade by myself. I'll keep my passion indoors. Exactly. The moon of indoors. So, sports. That's that's the whole point of it. Yeah, I'm still trying to articulate that. Um, well, but it, it's, it sounds like you're... So, it's competitive energy. There's a communal aspect to it. That's why I say it's like we could extend it to just. Well, that would just complicate things. I was going to say we could just extend it to expression because that's really what it boils down to. You know, comedy is the same for you as well. It's a focused, structured thing that is a communal experience. Yeah. You know, you as a comedian are on stage in front of people. You are the one who guides them along your ideas. Well, in that sense, my anything I learned from sports, I don't think serves me very well at all. (laughs) <laughs> really you can't be competitive i mean you oh oh and stan well you have a good i have a good friend who's very successful and he says that all a comedian he, yeah okay all he says is he all he wants to do and this is like dude this is one of the least competitive dudes i know mm-hmm. just a really good-hearted person um but he does say all i care about is being as the best the best person on the show and that's pretty competitive and i care about that Two, I guess it just I'm so competitive in everything I do, and I try to not be so hard. And I really have worked hard at at just being way more even keeled and and you know as a person. Yeah, yeah. I think well, both definitely. I think on stage you have to be just well on stage you just have to be in command of your own confidence. You have to be in, in command of of your own product. At all times, unflappable, and by the time you get to the stage, it shouldn't even be a question. Mm. But like in the lead up to the stage, there's a lot of times, there's a lot of downtime, a lot of moments for thoughts to creep into your head, you know. And and there's you know you're surrounded by contemporaries, you're surrounded by com- competition, and you know it's it's only natural that like you would you know fall prey to maybe comparing yourself to people or yes you know yes. Uh, you know my material is going to go over better than this material that this person's doing. Or if they like this person's material, they're not going to like my material, whatever. I do the same. You know, it happens all the time. It's, there's just way too many moving parts to try to avoid it. Um, moment by moment, instance by instance. So if you can just try to just overall be more even keeling in the moment, I think that serves you best and being competitive. Um, 
if you're, you know, I guess for people who are good <laughs> at sports, I'm trying to connect the two, mm-hmm. you know, c- comedy and sports, I guess. Uh, people who are good at sports maybe um, are competitive in the moment. Mm. Um, and maybe that's why they're good at sports because they're able to not think so much like mm-hmm. you did on the basketball court. And like I do in a lot of the sports and other things that I do, thinking I think gets in your, in your way often when you know you, you just you try to get you try to control things too much when if you just let your subconscious take over because um, why not 90% of your brain is way smarter than 10% of your brain right and if you can just let that part take over um, you're going to do things way more fluidly especially if you've trained your body your instrument your animal to the point to react yeah at a speed at a speed that like you don't have to think anymore you've kind of trained it to be like oh when this happens I'm going to do this yeah it just knows what to do if you will yeah, and and if you can if you can do that in in the moment, um, you're going to be better at everything. Uh, I th- I think. I mean, you you're just going to be way more fluid and and way more, um, you know, just let your instincts take over. And and that is something that maybe, uh, you know, overthinking things and being competitive as a comedian, I think are two are the are the same thing, for me at least, because uh, because. Unless you're up on stage, getting out of your own way and doing what you're there to do in the first place, then, you know, just be prepared. Think about it if you're preparing for it. But if you're being competitive and, and you're, you know, if you're not preparing, you're comparing yourself to something or someone or, or wherever you're at, you're trying to, you're, that just turns into overthinking things like I'm doing right now. But, um, well, but this is an overthinking podcast. So it's totally fine. Deep. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, like, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it serves me very well in, uh, in comedy because, uh, because that's not where my, com- that's not where my comedic voice comes from. Mm. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I, I do. Competition, you mean? Or overthinking? Well, I don't think that's funny. You kind of have I don't a... think that's healthy. I don't think it's funny. I don't like it. I don't like seeing comedians be, well, sometimes I do, but that's just because I'm an e- egotistical fucking Wait, motherfucker. Wait, comedians be what? I sometimes I'm sorry. I sometimes I do like to see comedians be competitive on oh. stage or judgmental, but that's of each other or of. I like to see people be motherfuckers. Okay, but it does wear on me, and I can understand why very few people would enjoy it because it's just arrogant and base. Just, okay. just just watching somebody's animal get cut loose up there. Yeah, well, it depends on if it's funny or not. I mean, like if it's funny, it's because funny. sometimes it's funny. If it's funny or funny, and but sometimes it's funny because it's not funny. Sometimes it's funny because it's not funny. Sometimes it's funny because it's inappropriate. But if for us, it's different because we we've been up there. We know what's happening. Right. The audience exactly. is uncomfortable. But to us, we're like, this is awful. Right. They, everyone is having a horrible time, and we and think that's hilarious. funny. Right. This person is saying, "Fuck all of you." Yeah. Me. Fuck yeah. you. I've, and I can see there's certain people that when I see them do that, like Rick Shapiro, who I just saw the other night, walk into a room. Do you yeah. know Rick Shapiro at all? Yeah, yeah. I don't know him. He I mean, didn't I know go I've up. Him. He didn't go up, but he's one of those people who gets on stage and he does not give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. What you think. And, and he will take it to all sorts of places, uncomfortable places, strange, dark places that the show can't recover from. Yeah. If he doesn't do well, right. there's nowhere to go. Right. If he's in the middle of the show, sorry. Like, it's hard to follow that. No one, like, even Louis C.K. will have a difficulty going up after Rick Shapiro after he's changed the fucking energy in the room like that. Yeah. it just be like, this is a vortex that I'm not sure I can climb everyone out. Who do you like watching be a 
motherfucker. Chris Fairbanks. Oh, great. When Chris Fairbanks gets fucking angry, <laughs> when he is annoyed, and that, 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 that fucking place of frustration that yeah. he comes on, sometimes gets on stage, yeah. where he's just like, what the fuck is, I don't know who the fuck. <laughs> I was at um, that show at uh, Bruco, was Ben Bazuna's show that uh-huh. doesn't exist anymore. That shit, I believe it was called. Uh-huh. And Chris Fairbanks just was watching the whole show, getting more and more upset. <laughs> At the douchiness of the audience, that Westwood. there were these fucking yeah, because there were these fucking UCLA Fairbanks freshmen. Takes Westwood, exactly. There were these UCLA freshmen that were just fratty douches. By uh, the time he got on stage, he was so angry. Yeah, it's the funniest. Fu- but he's still funny though. Yeah, and the audience is still laughing the entire right, right, time. Right, right, right. Then I just did set list, and he was he was uh, up, like the the uh, the suggestions were so random that he would just riff and like this is the word moon is in there for no fucking reason, <laughs> and just him going off. Yeah, is hilarious. Um, there's another comic named Becky Donahue who's now in Los Angeles, a New York comic. Uh-huh. She's another person that I've seen get like in a mood yeah. before she goes on stage, and it just changes fucking everything. Yeah, and so funny. And she was she'll be so upset when she comes off. She's like, I just got I was in a bad mood. I didn't do any jokes. I'm like, that was incredible. Yeah, what you just did was incredible. Yeah, she's like, I just had all this material I had worked on. Like, no, I like what you did. Yeah. <laughs> But who, 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 who? I like, who, who, I like, who? I like, I like proofs. Oh. I like watching proofs be a motherfucker. Yeah. And he's, he's be so fucking, fucking smart. Smarmy, fucking smug. He's smarter douche. than everyone there. And it's like, it's very rare that a comic can he say that. Prepa- he prepares his act accordingly. And it's just, I, I, I even, he's got, he does like, he does this whole chunk on the Midwest. And I am Midwest to the core, mm-hmm. and he just shits on the Midwest <laughs> for so long, and I just hate it. But I, but I love get, it. I love it at the same time. I love it. I just am like, fucking be an asshole, you fucking asshole. I love it. I just there's something about it. Just well, I mean, Marin to, as well. Marin is a motherfucker. When Mar- when Marin's when he in wants that to fucking be a, mood, yeah. When it's about him, it's about him. <sighs> He's like, he's not like, and he's going to strangle this audience until yeah, they yeah. can't breathe. Yeah, yeah. This is a headlock now. Yeah, yeah. This whole act is now a headlock until you fall asleep. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, there's that legendary clip of um, Bill Burr in Burr. Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Where he, the audience started, was an Opie and Anthony show or some shit? Yeah. And he just like lost it on them. And it was, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's good. Beautiful. They were booing him or some shit. And he's like, are you fucking kidding they me? They start booing him and then it goes Rocky Four, and then they start rooting for him at the end. It's great. It, it, he turns that shit around. No, that's a great And clip. he's like the nicest guy. Little but he has a short fuse. Yeah, he's great. He's got a short fuse. Yeah, it's funny. Well, all the people we were talking about all have short fuses. Yeah. Like, it's like if they, if they get into a mood, it's like, mm-mm. Uh-huh. You better not be around there. What did you just, oh, Did that guy just cuss him out? Well, I don't know Proops. I don't know Marin. I, I know Chris. I know myself. I know, I know Bill. I, I think that's got to be pretty much... True. I mean, anybody who you who who you have fun watching go to that place mm-hmm. has uh, got to be good at going to that place. <laughs> oh, yeah. And f- familiarity doesn't hurt. Getting good at doesn't something. hurt. Um, but um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's an just the same. That's just an exercise in your own kind of just power and 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 uh, presence. You know, you're you're. you're as even if it's anger, you know, he's, it, indulging in it is is not not necessarily healthy. But but it, it, if you have no choice, then 
if you can find an acceptable place to do it, then then God, do it. Godspeed. Do it. And and stand up serves that purpose. You know. Let's transition here into because I feel like this is still all murky. competitive energy. It's murky, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's no, I mean like it's not necessarily murky, but it like all it all stems out of the third version of passion, which was like this energy. Yeah. And I think that so you have a passion for let's say this and you can Point tell me B, what you and think. I, and, I, and I think we got to this place just now. Yeah. Is that there's a there there's there's healthy and there's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. There's the both ends of the spectrum for any of the the, the three categories of passion that I thought about. Because I want to touch on the other two. Before, as well. For sure, we have to. We yeah. have to. Uh, we should especially touch on the one where we touch on people because that's the that's the that's most, next. Uh, so, but but yeah, there's 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 uh there's definitely the two ends of the spectrum, and that's why I was trying to say you know with the sports thing because because you know with your your own physicality and just this this kind of a very limited uh, existence that we have. You know, as 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 much as we we like to grow and stuff, and as much as we like to uh, express and thought and be well prepared and stuff, we still are relegated to this this fucking base place. And there's healthy ways to exercise that, and there's there's unhealthy ways to exercise that. And and uh, those are both you know um, brands of passion, and uh, they're both fucking really alive. They really really make me feel alive. Both of them. Um, the trick is to figure out you know uh, which one. Is, is, is the best. It's going to be able to, you're going to serve you in the long run. Sustain, yeah. Yeah. So would, would, let me see if I can cut this down to the barest of elements. Cut it down. Would, would, would you agree with me saying, chop it down. You Another have a rock passion, chop it down, that you have a passion for doing? Yes. Like a passion for activity. That's, yes. That you like to be active. You yeah. like to do, yeah. whether that be sports, which is a, a, a something that you've done your whole life mm-hmm. that you know that you get that high from you get the workout high yeah you know exercise active you know all your synapses firing stuff like that like it yeah. it, it it turns your body literally it turns it on it yes. turns your body on and it turns you on it does no, okay no question there you go speaking of turn-ons mm-hmm. waka waka <laughs> we, we started with this we started sure. getting into this at the beginning sure. beginning of the podcast sure a passion for love Mm-hmm. And women, mm-hmm. which aren't necessarily the same thing. They're not the same thing, but they're not mutually exclusive. Not at all. Do tell. Do uh, talk. Um, well, I I think you know that, like we were talking about earlier. You know, it, are you currently seeing someone? Um, seeing someone in the traditional sense of like, are you in a relationship? No, but you're kind of hanging out with. Someone yes. or someone's yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I. <clears throat> hmm. I don't. I'm pretty uh, happy with with where I'm at in my in my dealing with um, my relationships with women. I I like being single. Mm-hmm. Um. I do have, you know, I have in my life experienced um, intense love, and that is incredibly rewarding. But I like being free. I really do. And I don't know if marriage will be for me, you know. And in the meantime, um, I'm very wary of getting caught in a cycle 
Right, like kind of a use them and lose them sort of a cycle. Yeah, or like we, or you, I mean, we could, we could, we can gussy it up a little bit. I mean, well, that is <laughs> a very specific thing. I think, it, or you know, that's that's its own. It has its own specific place on the spectrum. Yeah. of being involved with somebody. Yeah, just like some people are so anti wanting to get involved and wanting to get attached that they just want to not even sleep with somebody more than once. Just kind of like if I sleep with that person twice. That's already attachment. Yeah. Some people see it like that. I'm right? not terrified like that. Um, Which is cynical, by the way. I think they're they're afraid to get attached because they've gotten attached. Oh, okay. And because so they didn't know that it brought out it was going to bring out all these demons inside of them that they decided I don't want to figure out what these demons are about. I'm just going to put them in the box. Yeah. And never look at that again. And not subject them to someone else's scrutiny or um leave them under the care of somebody But then also else's. they're missing out on all the beautiful and incredible things right. that I you mean, could I, possibly it, have. Look, it, it just it, that long-term relationships just boil down to you know are you willing have you found someone that's compelling to you and are you willing to um trust them with your feelings? Yeah, that's hard. That's difficult. Very, very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, uh, you know, the most difficult part of that is finding someone that you find that spectacular. Once you do, I don't think the rest of it's very hard. I don't think you have a choice in it. Hmm. I mean, if they if they'll have you, if they'll have you, you don't have a choice. Um, you love someone. Loving someone is not a choice. Never, ever. You can never talk yourself into loving somebody. Well, you can, but it doesn't mean it's going to work out. I think that's what I'm saying. If you're trying to never. talk yourself into loving someone, out. ever, never. That's when someone's out. good on paper, where it's like yeah. all this yeah. ex, like external shit. You're like, out. oh, well, they have the job I like no. and the car, and and I just don't feel it. But they're so good on paper. You are, you know, for the most part, if you would have kids with someone very shortly after you meet them, and if you don't know entirely by then, you will know very shortly or during the time that you initially have sex with them. Here's an interesting thing and let me know what you think. Cuz you have this. to know how physically if they if they are as attracted to you physically as they were intellectually or before you know, seemingly spiritually on in the build up to Well, it also changes. I think coitus. a lot of people chase infatuation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh. we 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 think that infatuation is love, which yeah. it isn't. Right. And that Infatuation usually wears off about three months into knowing somebody, yeah, which is when most people will break up <laughs> because they're like, oh, especially when you're younger, because we're just chasing new that new feeling, that new awesome, right. you're excited, yeah, yeah. your your shiny feeling, yeah. And then when it wears off, we're like, oh, I guess I don't love. Like we expect that that's the feeling that love is that's supposed to feel like that forever. So when it changes, it's like, oh, I guess I'm not in love. When you you think when you're 20 or 21. But here's an interesting thing. I, I want to get your thoughts on this because there's a lot of problems with this article that I saw. I said to somebody that there's been studies that moving in with someone when you're in a relationship with them actually results in breaking up more than anything else. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, yeah, actually, when people move in with each other, if they get married after that, they're more likely to break up. Huh. And. I was like, yeah, it was a New York Times article. And they're like, I don't believe you. Go find it. And I luckily found it. Mm -hmm. I found the article and I sent it along. But then I reread the article. 
and I remembered why it struck me. Basically, it's this phenomenon in which we have this idea of relationships and how things are supposed to go that someone just came up with. Some, someone just invented it, but we all think it was like, yeah, that's just how it goes. It's natural. It's, bi- it's biological, which is not true, right? Pairing so, off and... But we have this, but even so, we, it manifests itself in this way of after three dates, you're in a relationship. Once you're in a relationship with this person, you're supposed to move towards moving in together. Once you move in together, you're supposed to get married. Once you get married, you're supposed to have kids. There's all these steps that have been laid down. Yeah. So it seen, what struck me about this article is actually how people are, act, are not, that people are actually not communicating with each other about what it is that they want. People are just kind of going to this default as if it's what they want, even though while they're on the path to getting all the quote unquote shit that they're supposed to get there's on the way. They're like, this isn't exactly what I want, but it's what everyone wants. It's what everyone's told that we want. And I have it. So why would I give it up? Right. right. So it means that these, there's a lot of people that get together. They're spending the night with each other a lot. Then suddenly they find themselves moving in together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, this just happened. That's what all these people that they interviewed is. is it just happened. It just happened. Right. Where it's like, you're spending the night, you're staying lo- over a lot. You realize I should be paying for two rents. You know, I'm paying this rent over here. I'm not even staying there. Suddenly, you're living with this person. You're picking shit to have that's yours. Right. Ours, not just yours. It's our couch. Our blah blah blah. Then suddenly, you're locked in to living with someone before you really figured out if that's what you wanted. But you can't just walk away from it. You know what I mean? That person's dad has your number on in their phone. Mm-hmm. You can't just go. <laughs> Suddenly you're getting you've been doing that for two years and you're like, well, I guess we're supposed to get married now. Yeah. Then you get married. It's everything that everyone's supposed to want, but inside you're like, I don't know. And then it and then those people break up. It makes sense because they find themselves going down this path that suddenly they didn't know they were in. But that's that's what really struck me about the article is how little people are actually talking about this. To the people that they're with. That they're with. Yeah, I... Well, first of all, I think that pairing off the... the Modern relationship, the modern relationship... Uh Uh-oh. Structure. Yuck, yikes. If I can can go ahead... Yowza. And... and, uh, People who listen to my podcast already know a little bit about how I feel about all this stuff. I I just think it's... (laughs) They don't agree. I just think that it's it's way more conducive to uh what women want. I think and and I'm not not to say that they're that that it's it's totally fulfilling, you know, for you saying this is what a girl wants, what a girl needs, what a girl blah, blah, blah. I don't know that song. I don't know the rest of the words. Saying. I would have loved to pick that up real I know. Up. But um not talk about no Mel Gibson just, movies. Just the whole, just nesting. I mean, just the sheer, you know, physicality of that. Like, yeah, get moving in together, settling in, da, 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 having kids, getting married, having kids. Da, 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 da. I mean, that's I, women want that shit. Men, how, how often do men really want that shit? Well, you'd be surprised. I, again, I think this really is would issue I be surprised, of- and then would I be, and then I would, and then would I be, uh, would my my assumptions be? confirmed when they're cheating on their wives 20 years later yes and no but also let's not let's not act like the wives aren't cheating as well right well because i mean i'm I'm that i'll I'll place full blame on the men for that well i just think i think in your scenario earlier i think probably the lack of the communication there was due to the to the fucking men 
because the the women didn't feel the need to you know to communicate. They didn't have to communicate as much because uh, I think that that whole transgression of events uh, fit more towards I think from my experience what most women are looking for. Well, I mean, they do say that in the article. So it's the that- man's job to communicate any you know deficiencies or issues along the way and men are not you know as uh, communicative as women i think well i i think that is and isn't true i think it's untrue for comedians (laughs) because we won't shut the fuck up but they do say that in the article that in general men tend to see moving in with a girl obviously obviously i'm not talking about needy extroverts okay yeah uh (laughs) or needy extroverted introverts Men tend to see moving in with a woman as like, Flipping okay, this is going to be a test to see if we work or not, right? That it doesn't necessarily inevitably lead to, lead to marriage. It's like we're moving in. We're gonna. This is actually like a. We're gonna see what this means. That's what this moving in means. That's how guys tend to see it. Is that all men? If anything, I would say that's men saying, "Let me see if I can do this." Well, that that it. That's what that is. What it is. If I can do this, yeah, it's just kind of like let's see what this good is. Enough. But the girl is seeing it as this is an inevitable step. This is the test towards marriage. So women tend to see that moving in is this is the test to see if we can get married. Yeah. And then men tend to see it as like this is the test to see if we'll stay together. I'm going to see. <laughs> I'm going to let her drive my tractor. Let her drive hopefully, my tractor. Hopefully I don't break down. See where she takes it. See what she grows. <laughs> but I think the thing is that like – and apparently there was a study on this. It seems that generally – again, I think this is all issues of socialization. I think that – you're right in that women tend to want that stuff and men don't, but I don't think that that is a biological natural thing. You're I think out it's just of your that, fucking mind. I think that girls they are, have to carry children. It's for nine is, months. This is a bigger discussion. Take dude. care of them. This is a huger, bigger discussion. That's their passion. It's built in. Bro. It's not. It's not. It is and it isn't. But it's also our passion to look after the children that we created. Not at all. Yes. Well, dude, we'll eat them. No, we'll eat our kids, dude. Nate, we'll eat them. Have a talk with Greg Proops about this subject. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say, though. Women, when they're younger, tend to want relationship stability, right? This is some other study that was done. Heteronormative. This is all heteronormative. I'm sorry for my, my transgendered, my, my, my gay, lesbian, bisexual listeners. Uh, this is a bit weird with two straight dudes. Talk about straight shit right now. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And, for, and for you other straight motherfuckers listening, it's on. <laughs> um, women tend to, this is another study that was done. No minorities in this discussion. Women tend to, straight women, heteronormative women, when they're younger, want relationship stability, security, right? Uh-huh. 20s. Teen, teens, 20s. Uh-huh. Then they get to their 30s, and men who are in their teens and 20s want looseness, freedom. I don't want to fucking owe anyone anything. Then they get to their 30s, Right. And in the 30s is kind of where men and women start to kind of meet on shit. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that, into the 40s, women tend to want loose, free, no strings. I don't want to explain myself to motherfuckers. And men are like, I need a new mom. That's where men are. They're like, I want a relationship. Mm-hmm. I want stability. I just realized I don't know how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I need a woman to help me figure this shit out. So it's like when men get to their 40s, in general, and this is, of course, in general, it's not a rule. They tend to, very important wording here, they tend to want more security. And women want that younger, and then it flips to them being like, I just want to fuck. Okay. And I want to talk to bitches. That's all fine, Baron. 
But in our mm-hmm. 20s, when shit counts, <laughs> <laughs> women want security and they want... But I'm saying it's, like, it's really hard to let go of that shit. Like it's stuff that we learned in our teens and our 20s that we think is just like, oh, that's life rules. No, that shit still is fluid. It still changes. You can't decide something was one way at 21 and be like, well, I'm just going to blanketly put that on top of everything. Let shit go. That's what I'm saying. I think a lot of these problems happen when we hold on to this bullshit that we believed when we were younger, before we were too young to know any better. And for some reason, we're like, oh, it was simpler than I, I knew less, therefore less mattered. But all I needed was this. And we hold on to that fucking idea. And by hook or by crook, we're going to make that fucking true. We're going to make that shit work. Mm-hmm. And that fucking fucks people up. Dude, I'm not saying that 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 women are chained to their biological clocks. I'm saying that, by and large, modern relationship structure, to get back to that ridiculous statement, okay, uh, has more is more aligned with what women uh, want. What women want, yes, but. In my opinion, that's a trick. Well, I, look, it's dude, a trick. A trick to what? It's, I mean, I'm, it's I'm, what men wanted a long time ago. Monogamy actually benefits a man more than it does a woman, and it has to do with tractors and farms. Right. When we were agriculture, and we wanted to make sure that the things coming out of that hole was my fucking shit. Okay. Because these are my workers now; they're going to get my shit. So monogamy was a way of locking down the vagina to guarantee ourselves that what was coming out of that vagina, all me, baby. All me. I don't know, dude. I'm, I mean, that might have been how the system worked at stretches over... But I'm saying that like it benefited men, even though men weren't faithful. But it benefited them, right? And I'm saying that the, what's flipped is... Women have become now more convinced about monogamy than men. But the irony is that monogamy is a means of man to control a woman's vagina. And that women romanticize the fact of like, I just want someone to control my vagina. I just want to be someone's. Okay, but you're willing- We romanticize the property aspect of it. But you're willing to say that just because we're willing to claim that that's what we're interested in, that makes it true? I mean, I don't think that men, it makes. Well, go ahead, go ahead. I don't think that men really believe in monogamy just because they tell women they do. No, I'm not saying that. That's. I'm just saying that, like, those are the ideas that fuel what people do and don't want. Okay, well, those were trends. Those are trends, and those are trends now. I, I'm saying that the trends that we have now are informed by these other trends, but they're just trends, I, and we tend to think of them as fucking scientific biological fact. My best understanding of it mm-hmm. comes from from what I've seen are physical impulses. And women, you know, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to say that they're, you know, haven't evolved out of these base, you know, biological circumstances that they're dealing with. Um, but I'm definitely not going to say that men have uh evolved out of theirs and i think by my best understanding i just have to go by what i've seen men and women be compelled to do are compulsive about and women want to get pregnant and have their babies and then after they're done with that they may have you know an epiphany 
where they're looking for the fewest strings possible because they are done with what their brain was telling them to do. Um, but men are, I think I'm, I'm dude, I'm just telling you, I am, I have an instinct. Sorry, I'll wrap it up. No, because I, I, I you don't have to wrap it up. I'm I just, ha- I have a response to you. I have ahead. an instinct to put my dick in a lot of women. <laughs> I'm not saying I do it, but no, I, wa- I, I want to do it. I want to do it dozens of times a day. And I feel that strongly. Yet you are not capable of multiple orgasms and women are. Continue. Uh okay, okay. Is that your is that the response that you were waiting on? No, that's just a piece of fact. Okay. Um I don't know if that's necessarily true either, but um just because you ain't got a bitch to come three times and no, go ahead. <laughs> I'm talking about the other way around. Character, yeah. But 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 uh well, okay, we'll go, we'll go ahead and, and say what you were going to say. Well, here's the thing. I, 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 just like you said before, those are biological impulses, but they're not biological fa- like fact, right? Well, then that's out of they're my pay grade. They're one side of a coin. That's out of my pay grade. Dude. I'm saying that they're one side of a coin, baby. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying that you're right. Women do have those impulses, but I'm saying that the opposite side of the coin is also true. Men have those impulses, but the opposite side of the coin is also true. Well, there are instances of that, yes. We but have those instances. I'm saying are when it comes to determining I, societal norms. Those instances are not. But societal in, norms is the is the is the is the the X factor here, is that we have those sides of the coins, but we are socialized and taught to kind of move towards that side and move towards this side. So while you're right that women have that impulse to want to have a baby. It's not the only thing that defines them, but it's so important to our society, and they've been told it so much, so insistently for so long, their entire lives, that of course those impulses are more pronounced because it's what they're thinking about. And I'm saying it's the same for men, right? Right. I wouldn't even pursue a girl's. A doll is put into a girl's hands, and a gun is put into a boy's hands. Gun. A gun. Football. The ultimate penis. <laughs> Hold on, I like to call my gun the ultimate dick. That's what I. <laughs> I, I like to call my dick the ultimate gun. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, a doll and a football, right? Here, <laughs> take care of this. Here, go play. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So immediately we're taught about girls are supposed to take care of shit and boys are supposed to go be free. But that's. There, we have elements of all that shit. I'm just saying that, like, those are the impulses that are fed the most. But they're not the only in- impulses. There are other impulses that are there that ch- that are just as strong that can inject, but they lie dormant their entire our entire lives because it's not important to our society the way that we've structured the shit. What's important is that this is important and this is important. So those are the things that we're pushed towards. Yeah, you know, it's the Hunger Games but with a dick. Dicks and pussy. <laughs> the Hunger Games but with the a thir- dick. The That's thir- horrible. The thirsty games. The thirsty games. The dicksty games. <laughs> Um, but no, no, no. But I, but just to just to just to keep it, you know, me, just to make sure I'm speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I guess <laughs> and it's such a, a a male thing to do. Uh, uh, our conversation drifted towards defining what women want and what Im- women's impulses are. When in reality, I think the only reason I went there was to come back to defining what I the pressures that I feel myself as a man and what I want to be able to do and what I feel pressured to do, and what I want to be able to accomplish. But those are also still based on societal norms. 
So yeah. when we talk about what women want, we're talking about what we've been taught women want. Well, Baron, I do want what women want. Continue. <laughs> if they want you, that's what you want, motherfucker. I'm saying that, like, we, we have been convinced about each other by the opposites. So it's like men are being taught what women want all the time by other men, right? And women's magazines, which are mostly written, which were written by men. And then, so it's just like, I'm just saying that, like, what we think women want isn't always what women actually want. But what we think women want plays a gigantic part in how we will talk to, treat them, and approach them. Because we think, oh, women want this thing. So we're holding that as a standard that we have to either conform to or fight against, mm -hmm. right? No, no question. Men will not hesitate. To, but women are doing the same to, thing. To proclaim what women want. Women are doing the same thing, though. All men, they only want, they're taught from such a young age. Oh, men, they, boys, they only want one thing. Mm -hmm. They only want one thing. And it's told to them like it's this horrible, they want one thing. Mm -hmm. Keep it away from them. Mm -hmm. Take care of this doll also. Right? So it's like we're being taught about the enemy before we're way too young to understand the enemy. And it informs how we handle them before we know what they are. You know, if we're being told, hey, everyone on that side of the wall, we've never seen anyone on that side of the wall. Yeah. Everyone on that side of the wall, six foot tall, monster teeth, claws. And when they don't look like that, that's what they really are. They're going to turn into that at any point, just to let you know. How were you uh -oh, taught? Do you need to get that? Nope. How were you taught about sex? Were you taught that it was healthy? Were you taught that it was a good thing? Yes. Okay, me too. Kind of. I mean, that, and that's a big thing. Sex negative, sex positive education, right? Now, I was raised by two women. Right? You were? Yes, my mom and my grandmother. Right. So sometimes I think I wouldn't have a lot of the ideas I had if I had a man present, like if my mm -hmm. dad was there. Sure. Because the dad's first job is to teach his son, this is what women are about. Right. So I would have been looking at my mom thinking, oh, he's right, right? But I never got that. I, my dad was there. I never had that discussion. Never, ever did I have that discussion with my dad. He never, that was never any, anything that he ever uh, taught me about. Well, here's the thing. I never, I didn't really learn about sex with my parents. I learned about sex in school. It's cool. Yeah. So yeah. it was like we had sex education, but it was only, you could only learn so much because, you know, everyone's parents are so fucking like, about it that you can't show you a lot. That's what happened in our school system was that they can only talk about things to it. It's kind of like evolution and creationism now. Which is kind of like then it was like sex. We don't want our kids thinking about it. We don't want our kids talking about it. Parents were just afraid about their kids to know about sex. So we weren't taught a lot about it. We were taught very specific, very strange things. And the fear of getting pregnant and getting AIDS was just drilled so deep. Yeah. That was all. Sex will lead to pregnancy or AIDS. Right. That's basically it. Good night. You all get an A yeah. for AIDS. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> but then I actually ended up being in this like theater group. That was all about like sex education and drug education. So I ended up learning the shit that you couldn't learn in school yeah. because it was outside of school. So I had a more informed opinion about all this shit. Thus was less afraid of it, yeah. was less thinking of it in these feared terms of like, oh, it's this thing that I don't exactly know what it is. Because that not knowing, like filling something with mystery, with mystery is exactly what's going to make kids do it. If you explain to them what it is, what it can do, how it feels great, but be safe.
because these things might happen. Here's what these things are. Mm -hmm. They're going to have more information and go into that situation with with more information as opposed to it feels good. Don't do it. Bad. But why why is it bad? Just is. Bye. You all get an A. For AIDS, <laughs> there's gonna be make motherfuckers curious. Uh-huh. Then motherfuckers getting pregnant at fourteen. Maybe AIDS isn't that bad. Maybe you know what? Maybe this is worth AIDS. <laughs> they might say to themselves. So I'm just saying that. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying anymore. Well, no, that we were taught based on. We were, you, you know, I just think that we're taught from. we're taught really strong gender stereotypes mm-hmm. that really aren't that old in the history of the world, but these things kind of came up. At the same time, a lot of the science that we are standing on now, mm-hmm. like I'm talking about Victorian era, Victorian era psychology mm-hmm. and um, you know uh, evolution and medical science, mm-hmm. a lot of these stereotypes were built into that shit, and we still believe it. Well, I think as I get older and and experience these things um, more and more. And by these things, I mean relationships and and the, you know the, the lessons and successes and failures of them. Um, I'm more reluctant to let myself experience passion, that kind of young, youthful willingness. You're more measured about it. I'm way more measured about it. Um, I've been in love th- three times in my life. Uh, one of them was the first time I fell in love. Um, another one was just a great summer. Uh, and, uh, another one was the longest relationship that I've ever had. And, you know, I'm still in contact with all of those women. And those are some of the best, strongest people that I've ever been friends with or had the privilege to be around and gotten a chance to love. And so aside from just having high, you know, a high, high, uh, high standard of, of who to, who to go there with, um, I realize, and this is something we started out saying, it takes a tremendous amount to go there because if it doesn't work out, getting out of it is heartbreaking. It's a lot of work. And not getting out of it means that it's over for you. It means <laughs> that your freedom is gone. And it means that, it means that you're going to have to work at that one thing forever i mean ideally if you know you're lucky enough to choose wisely follow me and like that is um that is something that that um you know passion in lovemaking word up anytime every time swish every time fucking you ever see that ali g it's like me julie it's like swish every time anyway uh but, but, but you know, ideally, you know what? Yeah, it's a, 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 that's what sex is all about. Is like being uh, is a connection, introducing your animals, driving your tractors around in circles with parasols. You both turn a tractor on in the same field, and you just let them go, run into each other. Mayhem, just mayhem and squirrel blood. Oh man, what was last night? Dog, oh, wrecked the shit out of our tractors, dude. It's awful. It's um, awful. Um, Awfully hilarious. But as far as like the passion, like the deeper passion, the mm-hmm. kind of emotional, soulful, like attachment, um, that is, um, I don't know. I feel like as I as I get older, that's like that's something that's 
I'm way more reserved about. I'm way more reserved about. And I don't know if it's out of fear or if it's out of respect. Probably a little of both. Yeah, I like to think so. Um, but I do think, you know, I read all the time that, you know, um, that that men are running from things. And I don't really hear that bullshit. I don't think I'm running away from anything. I think I'm just piloting this fucking monkey ass brain that I got. And that's another thing is that you we're hearing that women are running towards shit. We're running away from shit. They're running towards shit. Right. Yeah. Again, it's just it's it's gender wars. You know what I mean? There's a whole industry that profits on us being fucking confused as fuck about each other. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to get along. You see what I'm saying? They don't want us to get along. Who buy Cosmos? Who would buy Cosmopolitan if niggas and bitches were just getting along? (laughs) Housewives. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that, like... (laughs) Sorry. But the housewives are confused. I did not. Yes, and They tend to have... Well, you did yet. Yes, and housewives... (laughs) That's not really a sentence. So, uh, but I'm just saying that, like, that is a, I almost feel like that's a myth. And sure, there's plenty of guys that are running away from shit, but it's not true for everybody. You know what I mean? It is very good for you to at least entertain the idea of what is it that I could be running away from. Yeah. Perhaps I should think about this. Take care. You know, I'll get to it after the basketball game. (laughs) But that brings us around kind of to our third and final leg of passion here which are politics philosophy right because you're a thinker i you're a thinker you're a considerate guy i claim to be i'm telling you i like to be thoughtful you like to be thoughtful so i like thoughtful people and you you like to debate as any comic does Mm -hmm. because comics and i've learned that this has gotten me in trouble in the past when i'm having conversations with non-comics because to write a joke and to come up with a bit is to come up with the most the, the clearest and most succinct way you can put all these ideas together, right? Yeah. So we're constantly trying to get to the core right. of something, the point yeah. of something. There's casualties along the way. And there's casualties along the way. The brevity of language requires much blood. And so, and as Shakespeare said, brevity is the soul of wit, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes with, there are people who do not know that. They, I've gotten in trouble with people who they fight with me about how I talk about shit because I make declarative statements. Dude, can I tell you a story that, t- that ties this last 20 minutes into this w- next 20 minutes? Boom, do it. Dude, I was in Portland. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was working in Portland two weeks ago. Uh, helium? Harvey's. Harvey's. And Something with an H. And uh, my best friend from kindergarten. She lives up there with her husband. He's high up at Nike. Their daughters are brilliant little girls, and they just got into this school. It's a really good school, and their new kind of group of friends, their girls' friends' parents are all these, you know, uh, is a, a incredible group of wealthy, smart people. Like a couple PhDs, guy who runs his own production house. Uh, one of the wives is a lawyer for Kaiser Permanente. We're all sitting around. Kids have had their pizza. We just the woman who was hosting made the taco bar. I was going to drive to the club after dinner and uh, do two shows. And they were all like, Oh, well, welcome to Harvey. You're welcome to Portland. We'll come to Harvey's. We'll maybe watch you. Da, 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 da. And uh, so we're talking and we get into a conversation um, and about who the democratic nominee for president will be. And 
you know, since, after Obama's uh, after Obama's done, and they 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 say Hillary Clinton and, and the 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 woman the the lawyer for Kaiser says uh, I I still haven't forgotten I've, I still haven't forgiven her for not leaving Bill, and I was like, and this is I'm I'm speaking to this what your what you were saying about declarative statements, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm sorry, why? And she was like, Well, I just think that that's just. I was like, he was the president of the United States. I was like, it happens all the time. Like, you don't, you don't allow her the freedom to, to work things out with her own husband. <laughs> and and she was like, well, I just think it was it set a, a bad example to her daughter. And I was like, well, what about not teaching her daughter to have unrealistic expectations for men? You mean her daughter, who's incredibly success, successful and yeah, and went to an incredible school. Right. Well, yeah, and it was her who was a bad, a bad, a bad example. Please, her, her, her father's the president. Of the United States. <laughs> it was just, it was just like the most, like it was. And her mother's the secretary of state. It was like, exactly. And well, not at the time. I yeah. mean, just not at the time that she got mad. Not at the time that she was that Hillary betrayed her. Okay. It gotcha. was such fucking horseshit, fucking feminist crap. Well, let's not let's not go there. Well, no, I'm going to call it feminist crap. Okay. All right. I would call it masculine garbage. Okay, go ahead. Feminist crap is different than feminism. So I'll, I'll make yeah, that distinction. Yeah, exactly. Right. And the, the this, dis- was cr- this was more on the crap side. Distinction, <laughs> distinction made. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to walk around. I'm making a declarative statement. Go ahead. I'm, I'm bleeding this out right now. This was feminist fucking horseshit. All right. Nate Craig, that's his opinion. And... And, 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 and I, and I, and I like, I like, I wanted to have this discussion. Yeah. I wanted it. I was into it. And, and I was pretty proud of my immediate assessment. Like the guys, he's a man and he's leading the free world. First of all, as far as I'm concerned, the president should get a blowjob from a different chick every single fucking day. Okay. (laughs) There's too much riding on his job. He should, they need to fucking feed his beast and then put him back to work. Okay. They, like I, I'm not going to presume to know what any of those people in the positions of power like that are dealing with. So I'm not going to pass judgment on them, no matter what my moral compass tells me. I'm definitely not going to project it onto somebody in that position of our fucking species, miserable fucking existence in the middle of the universe. What the fuck is what? Right? Okay. So the fact that this woman is going to go ahead and say that in a, in mixed company, and then get mad at me for just even offering up the slightest bit of opposition, just I was like, ah, I just didn't, I didn't feel any, I didn't feel any obligation to not, you know, offer up a little resistance and just right. like prod her to be a little bit more articulate. Okay. You know, she, she, I'm fine with people making declarative statements. I love that shit. You just I want to back it up. I'll back it up. Go ahead. Make more declarative statements. <laughs> and, and then Tiger Woods comes the, the, the discussion, you know, gets down to a little bit more manageable of a level. And he's not a leader of anything. He's not a leader of anything. We can judge him. I think maybe be a little bit more. I mean, one could, I wouldn't, I wouldn't at all. Cause again, we're dealing with someone who is dealing with things that a couple hundred people in the history of our species have had the luxury mm-hmm. of choosing between, you know, on a daily basis, this, that, him, her, those, that, you know, incredible existence. Right. Tiger Woods is living. He's a billionaire, superstar athlete. Right. That travels the world with busloads of women throwing themselves at him. 
I'm not going to pass judgment on that. I have no idea. The only thing that I pass judgment on is that he chose some of the skankiest of those women. Well, those are the women that said that they slept with him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Go ahead. That I, I actually no. To, that's a good distinction. I used to do a bit about that. The the woman that said that that he brought she was a waitress at Denny's and he brought his wife in while she, and she waited on them at Denny's. That seemed like such horseshit because I'm sorry, Tiger Woods' wife is not going to go to fucking Denny's ever. <laughs> so I don't know who you how you think things work, but you don't marry <laughs> Tiger Woods and then go to fucking Denny's. <laughs> Next whore, please. Anyway, so. So I said, I said, he I could said, buy that Denny's. I said, well, I said, exactly. She, yeah. No, Tiger. I'm not going to Denny's. Get me a bread bowl salad. Fucking bring it home. Get me one of those chocolate chip muffins. That's hilarious. You want me to split a can of baked beans under a fucking bridge next to a garbage fire? Fuck you. I'm not going to Denny's. Get a hand job in the parking lot. Uh, anyway, that was Nate Craig stand up circa 2008. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do. And this, and this, and this is um, precisely the uh the kind of push and pull between you know healthy exercises of my passion and my you know ideas about existence and 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 uh and philosophy uh, on anything you mm-hmm. know uh, humanity and this happens to be humanity and uh you know it might not have been the healthiest place for me to kind of push on this but like we you know I I just felt I just heard people kind of just without without uh opposition or you know no counterpoint to their you know observation just condemning this man who like i said is experiencing an existence that we can't really fathom i mean it's the the top of the top of unimaginable fantasy lives this guy mm-hmm. has he called there have been 44 Guys who have done that job. What? Oh, president. Oh, well. I, I mean, I'm talking about Tiger, and I, I mean, oh, but no, I went but, back to Clinton. No, no, no. But I mean, but either, still, either either one, dude. I yeah. Mean, I mean, we're talking about people who who have, you know, like it's just like I, you know, back to way back in the conversation, really, really high or really, really low. These guys are at the top, man. Do whatever the fuck you want. You are the fucking pinnacle. You are our species. You represent everything. You're the gold medal. Go get that shit. Do that shit. And as a man, I'm definitely not going to put any fucking blinders on you, dude. Go nuts, man. I like fucking women. You are in a position to fuck Cleopatra. Do that shit. On the boat, man. Go get that shit. And then fucking we're in this discussion, and I'm not using language like this, but I am offering up uh, a counter counterpoint and this woman's like she says i was like she's like well i'm glad that she left him i'm like or she said i just feel bad for for his wife i'm like look that's between them and if you really want to talk about what his wife is dealing with she's a half a billionaire i mean i don't know what she got in the settlement but it was you know we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars her life is a magic carpet ride she's like what do you mean? She had to deal with all that stuff. I said, yeah. Yeah, she did. But now she has hundreds of millions of dollars and she lives a quality of life that infinity percentage of, of human beings could never imagine. Mm-hmm. So really, what did she have to deal with? You know, it made her look bad. She, she got embarrassed. I mean, she, she chose him. You know, they chose each other. She should have known that. And, and she's like, why? Just because he's rich? 
she, just, just because he's rich, she should have to deal with that. And I was just making a suggestion to her. I said, well, you act as though she's guaranteed a fairy tale somewhere else. You know, I was just basically just applying all, you know, the animalistic, you know, urges that she was condemning in Tiger Woods to all other men. Because she was just acting like there was this, this fucking dark tower that the king of her destitude, Tiger, King Tiger, the king of her destitude was living in. And every other fucking man outside of those walls was a prince, some knight in shining armor. And it's just mm. like, to make your point, you're entertaining a fantasy. And just kind of jerking yourself off on what fucking creatures men are, I thought. I thought she was, you know, and that is probably me being defensive mm. and, 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 and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm still into being definitive and having a conversation of you know substance substantive uh analysis <laughs> if possible with statements that aren't just like vague hemming and hawing and hinting at superiority and you know and so what happened was I'm scared she goes silent and then gets up and this is after i said you're assuming that she's you act like she's guaranteed a fantasy somewhere else. It's not that hard of a statement. I really wasn't. I was being direct. But you're saying that like she was in a marriage. She's in a marriage. Her husband's right next to her. Um, her and and the, no, but you're saying about like Tiger and his wife. Oh right. That like she had no gar- like they were married. They had problems, but it doesn't mean like. There, it's just like anybody else. It's just that it's such a public sphere. It's such a public sphere. Like you have, and the, he's a millionaire now. She has a half a million or half a billion dollars, or whatever. Right. You have the luxury of judging him, and your justification for doing it is the hardship that he put her through. I'm just saying, it wasn't all hardship. It does not remain to be hardship. There was a couple hard months where she had to stay in her castle, lest she be interviewed. But now she's got castles all over the planet hmm. where, okay. where TMZ doesn't go to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Follow me. And like, so what? So, I mean, it was just hard for me to sit there and listen to her be like, oh. Righteous indignation. I just felt like, I mean, I just felt like it was, uh, I think I felt like it was fucking feminist crap. I felt like it was, a, it was, a, it was a, you know, a woman making women the victim of men. And when in reality... Both of those women were put in tremendous positions by the men that they were with. Hillary Clinton is going to run for president because of Bill Clinton. Tiger Woods' wife has well, a lesser, nine figures. A in lesser her bank woman, nine. Like a figures. lesser woman than Hillary Clinton. Like, I, I feel like there's no mistake. Personally, hold up. Let me finish the story. Okay, go ahead. No mistake. Personally, lesser woman than Hillary Clinton. We'll get right back. I was going to say Hillary Clinton's a genius, but go ahead. She is. No question. She is. And one of the smartest things she ever did was marry Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. So fucking ridiculous. (laughs) That's so fucking true. Go ahead. Come on, Bill Clinton. What are you going to say? Let's be real. But uh, she gets up from the table Mm -hmm. like she's mad at me, and walks away. And everybody is like, oh. And, and then it, what I had just said becomes a way worse statement than it was. 
And then four minutes later, she comes back with her seltzer water. So she was just going to get seltzer water. But she did it after I said something, like she was mad and offended. Made me a total fucking asshole when I was really just being assertive in a conversation Mm -hmm. about a potentially sensitive subject, but she was the one that brought it up, brought it to the conversation, to the table. And then she came back with her fucking seltzer water. And then, and I was just like, oh man. And I felt so bad. Like I had embarrassed my friend in front of her friends, you know, but after I left, I thought about it and I could not be happier offending a lawyer for Kaiser Permanente <laughs> on basis of her moral figments. Like, go and fuck yourself. I feel, and I, but I felt, but I felt bad. It was like, it's still the push and pull. It's like, God damn. I mean, I mean, I'm passionate about my ideas and my convictions and whatever, whatever I think about men or women or people or existence or good or bad or, mm-hmm. you know, our humanity or, or our, our, our spirituality, our intellect, our capacity for evolution or whatever mm-hmm. was involved in that conversation that was threatening me or I was feeling defensive about, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not, and I'm not sure how much of it was me being defensive or threatened or how much of it was just me having learned to communicate in a definitive way with people like you or people who like to do. I'm surrounded. I'm, I'm totally surrounded by, by, by comedians and, and communicators. And, and people, we, fucking we fucking debate. Yeah, we love it. We love it. That's we the love whole it. reason I started this podcast is because I've had some of what I believe to be my most enlightening, entertaining debates yeah. in my life with other comedians. And be definitive or you're boring. Get there. Say some fucking shit. I mean, it takes a while to flesh through some ideas, obviously. It, it can. But I like, I like having a conversation and feeling changed by the end of it. Being like, okay, there's some stuff I didn't think of. Yeah. I didn't know before yeah. I talked to this person. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm going to go learn more about that stuff. Yeah. And I just think that the, that, yeah, I mean that, that, that it, t- it takes time. I'm not saying that, that fuck, we have to just say be bombastic and shit. No, and I wasn't but, trying to be at that point. But you're saying that like, it's a, it's a making declarative statements in itself was looked at as like an assault. Right. It was not familiar. And I was maybe not in the position to do it. And that's a big I was thing. A stranger. That... My friend, my friend was like, my friend, Ariel, who's my fucking heart, dude. She's like my best friend. She was like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. And then two days later, she said, Hey, they came over. We had a dinner party. I was, I worked the weekend and it was Saturday. And then I stayed a couple extra days, hang out with her and her daughters and her husband. And she, we went out for a, we went out for coffee and she was like, Hey, they came over yesterday. We had a dinner party. And, uh, and, uh, she was like, you know, I think your friend was a little defensive and maybe he's just not accustomed to being around people with money and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, I felt bad about putting you in a tough spot with your friends. I really appreciate you not being mad about it at the spot at the time. But now after she went away and fucking lawyered up and came up with some fucking horrible judgments. First of all, she was critiquing you by critiquing me because I'm not going to be in her life. She knows that I am your best friend. She knows that I am your brother and she did it. And so then, I mean, I don't even know why I finished the story, but I, I think that it was, it, it just made me feel better about it because I was like, oh, she was a fucking total cunt. She's a total fucking cunt. And there's a reason why she's a lawyer for a fucking health insurance company. And I could not be 
more okay with the way I proceeded in that conversation. Um, but it, it did test me in that I don't, I'm not always okay with how I proceeded in conversation. Maybe I'm not all the way okay with how I proceeded in that conversation, but. Well, but you learned something. I learned something. And I mean, it's, it, I learned it through, you know, the questioning exactly how much, how passionate I can be about my beliefs. Well, and this is another thing here. It's like, and I've gotten in trouble for the same reasons, having a, a discussion about something controversial. I, I tend to ha- start a conversation with someone about some sensitive subject, the conversation devolves into how we're having this conversation. It's like, you just, you just talk in this way. Like, suddenly I have to hear about how I'm communicating right, 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 sure. and how I'm so aggressive and how I'm so like, it's like, really? I'm just saying what I think. Uh-huh. And I listening, expect you. Listening to you describe that, mm-hmm. it sounds like regularly you say what you think clearly and effectively. And thank you. Thank sure. you. No, anything, and I have anything I can do, my friend. To many people, because my friends, even my friends that aren't comedians, talk like this. We fucking call each other in each other's bullshit. I, my friend will will two of my closest friends, both women actually, uh, will be like, "You're being a fucking dick right now about that thing that you did. That thing you did to that person, that was fucked. I was standing right there. I'm like, really? I was that much of a dick? Yeah, I see what your point. You're trying to make a point, but there is a better way to do it." I think you owe that person an apology. I'm like, shit, okay, I will apologize. I need that. Yeah. It makes me a better person. It makes me go, hmm, there's a different way to talk about that. It makes me read another person who I'm talking to. Okay, I can talk to this person directly. I have to be a little bit more sensitive. I have to be a little more tenterhooks. I should wrap it around a blah, right? So, but a lot of times I do end up hearing about how I'm talking about something. The person's having this reaction to me. But it's just like regular, quote unquote, Regular people, they're not used to people just because we play these status games where it's just kind of like someone will say a declarative statement, but then immediately cancel it out. Well, I think it's this, but what do I know? Right. And everyone feels safe with that. Oh, they just canceled themselves out. But I'll be like, I think it's this. Then I will look at you until you respond. If you have something better to say, now is the time. Uh I said what I said. Your turn. Uh Do you have anything better? No? Then I win. I won. Not that I'm looking to win, but it's like I expect I, t- I throw out a statement. I expect you to throw out an equal statement. Disagree with my statement. Tell me why my statement is wrong. Uh-huh. Tell me why your statement is better. I will entertain that. If you're convincing, if you're like, oh, okay, I never saw it that way, actually. And now that you say it, it makes me think of this other thing. So, yeah, what I said before, incorrect. I will retract my statement in the same fucking conversation. If you know more, have more knowledge, have some nuance about you, I will be like, yeah, okay, I didn't see it that way. This is healthy. This is healthy passion. But it points to a bigger thing. We, as a culture, have lost the skills of communicating with people that don't agree with fucking everything that we have to say. Yeah. Yeah. We Just really, like, yeah. and I'm, tr- I'm trying to, like, talk to people more about, like, that, that don't, like, that's my biggest anxiety about going out in general. It's just like, I'm just going to be around and fill up with a bunch of people that don't know how to talk about shit. Mm-hmm. If I get asked, what do you do? Mm-hmm. More than twice, mm. I'm gonna break a bottle and start stabbing people. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. But then sometimes I go out and I realized I went to a barbecue, a friend of mine, a friend of a friend, and it was like older, well to do people, like people in their 40s that have fucking kids and great jobs. They all know each other really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I was standing outside the house and I had this moment, I'm like, I can't. I, I literally stopped. 
like I hit like a force field. I'm like, I can't go in there. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, what, what's wrong? You, you, I was like, I just I feel like everyone's going to be on a completely different level. This is, everyone seems too fancy. I just can't go in there. It's just going to be too fancy. Mm-hmm. And I, when I went in, it ended up being awesome. Mm-hmm. I ended up having conversations with people I would have normally never had any conversations with. Found out how, the level of depth that they're capable of. They brought ideas. I'm like, we're having – this is actually – I had a great time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that was fun. Sure. I engaged with strangers that actually had shit to say. Who the funk? Right? Well, that's that's it's disheartening that you wouldn't expect that. Not that I do. Generally, I do not expect that. Is it is the biggest source of my my anxiety about going out. Well, how much of that is having the conversation with someone about being a comedian? Because that is an <sighs> that's a big one, awful conversation. It's a big one. If you took that conversation out of it. How much of that? That cop how much just is, gave how much... me a ticket in Tennessee. I I did tell him I was a comedian at at the end of it, thinking maybe he would change his mind. Oh, but I was like, nah, I'm black in Tennessee. I'm just gonna let this play out. <laughs> right. I'm not getting manhandled. It's just a ticket. Uh-huh. It's fine, Baron. Pick your battles, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that that I'm a comedian. Ooh. When I was doing colleges, I would just make up lies to people sitting next to me on planes. Yeah. Oh, I do a tour in which I I just got out of college myself. Yeah, and um, you know they're about to get out of college. I generally have a group of seniors that I talk to um, about what their experiences are going to be out be about when they get out of college. That's funny. Just, it's, a, it's a it's a euphemism. I mean, it's it, a euphemism. It's like, but it's but it's not. It's it's, it's also not necessarily a it's lie. Not, not true, right? But it sounds just boring enough. Yeah, that they go. Oh, that sounds really important. Huh. And they go back to their fucking book. And right. I'm like, yes, that's nice. Middle seat victory. That's nice. <laughs> so I bought this ticket too late. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I love to debate and I love to talk about shit. And I am also passionate about my ideas and my philosophies. Sure. And I don't necessarily know if I'm into politics as much as you may be. Because how much are you in? Oh, that's what I was going to say. In general, Hillary Clinton, Tiger Woods' Swedish wife. Mm-hmm. Um, hey. First of all, Hillary Clinton's a genius. Yes. She's a political genius. Mm-hmm. She always has been. I think... She, I think it was a definite a move to marry Bill Clinton. Well, I think that they both kind of saw each other's we ability, in, and they were like, "Law school, we were, should do this." Were they undergrad? Yeah, no, I think they were. I think they were grad students, Harvard? maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think that they saw the potential that each had, and they're like, "This is going to be a partnership that benefits us both," right? Kind of like House of Cards. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that at all. And yeah, she has. It's fantastic. A lesser woman, though. With what happened with Bill Clinton, would have shrunk from that situation. Uh-huh. But Hillary Clinton did never shrunk from that situation. She kept moving forward. She par- she has the ability to parlay herself into the most powerful woman that's not Oprah, which should be <laughs> a political title. You are now – we have elected you the most powerful woman that's not Oprah. <laughs> but she is the Secretary of State, right? And just like she parlayed herself – she played the politics game in a way that like is like – when you look at it, it's like shit. This woman knows her shit, right? Yeah. I do not doubt. Be I have no doubts that her and Bill had some sort of arrangement. As I feel is with, true with Tiger Woods. Jim Carrey said it on Twitter. It was a big controversial statement. He's like, there's no way his wife didn't know about this. Yeah. There's just – it's too many women for her to not be knowledgeable of this in some way. Right. I don't doubt that Tiger Woods' wife was like – he was like, look, I'm a huge star. I'm a sociopath. I'm going to fuck. And she's like – me too. Just don't get caught. 
please don't get caught. I just don't want to look like a fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's all I want. And he's like, cool, baby. But then he ended up fucking some dumb skanks. I think she, I don't, I don't know. I think that. that She she got a settlement. That means that he, that she signed a prenup, that he agreed to that shit. That means that she was like, look, I got this over your head. Don't be a fucking idiot. I know you're going to fuck people. Just don't be stupid. Right. Okay. Oh, I'm taking half your money. She hit him in the fucking face with a golf club. Yeah. She, Who, no one likes to look stupid. Right. To me, more in, in Ashton Kutcher, they had some sort of open thing. And it's probably like, don't be an idiot. Just don't get caught. He got caught. Tiger Woods got caught. Right. Women, when they're fucking around, are way better about covering their tracks. They're way better. Because they've, they've been fucked around on, some of them, and they've seen the mistakes that men make. They're like, he's just leaving clues everywhere. <laughs> I'm not going to do that shit. I'm bringing the black light into this bitch. Uh-huh. Oh, that's not my hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Um, They're also better actors. Okay. Now we're getting cray-cray. <laughs> Let's transition to the politics aspect. Sure. Politics. Go. Nate Craig. Well, um, I mean, this one's... Re- this, this I, links to your your philosophies as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, mo- most definitely. I was raised in a very political household. Like my my mother um, is, uh, you know, like a '60s all girls school feminist, and you know, hard liberal. And my mother was my hero growing up. Like I, you know, watched her and listened to her, and I've argued with her the whole way along. And and uh, and uh, she's taught me most everything I know. And and. You know, I've I've figured out when I agree with her and when I don't. You know, as I've gotten older, um, but for the most part, we agree. You know, I, idealistically on on most things. And like my fondest memory of when I was a kid was the the vice presidential debate between um, Lloyd Benson and and uh, Dan Quayle, when um, when he said, uh, "Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine, Senator." You're no Jack Kennedy. Very famous. One of my most famous vice presidential debates. And my mom, mm-hmm. first of all, had people over for the debate because mm-hmm. she was so excited. She hated Reagan so much. She hated George H.W. Bush. She was ecstatic to watch a brainless Republican get fucking just gang-raped yeah. by a, an established statesman smart intelligent leader politician still lost but well that's what lloyd benson was i mean he was a senator and he was he was a a smart person no i know i know and she he said that and she fucking lost her mind dude she almost threw the tv through the window she had like nine people in the living room she was feeding them serving them drinks and she fucking she was all right you fucking idiot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she fucking lost her mind and it's one of my favorite memories it's one of my favorite memories i just love seeing my mom be that alive because mm. she was always just a very that passionate that passionate she was always very quiet and introverted until she was having a political discussion a political discussion mm. and so when that came out oh she fucking was about to. She was she Madison, was, she, right? She You're from Madison. Somebody's grew up in Madison. Yeah, grew up in a Madison. very political town. Very political town. Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, you know the the home of the labor movement, and it's being dismantled. Uh, it's been dismantled over the last two years, mm-hmm. all by one uh, 
lifelong Christian conservative college dropout. What's that guy's name again? Scott Walker. Scott Walker. That's right. Raised by, um, you know, uh, uh, I not believe, to be confused with I Paul believe, Ryan. I believe not at all. Bo Ryan, did you say? Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. No, not to, yeah, no, not to be confused with Paul Ryan. Um, Paul Ryan, I think, is uh, well, they're, they're about the same level of intelligence, I'd say, <laughs> um, and conviction as well. They're 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 Tweedle Tweedle one and Tweedle two. Mm. But but um, the first day when I did comedy club in state, the first day I I was I flew into oh for the protest. You were there for the protest. The first day, dog. How many people were on the square? So many people. Seventy thousand, sixty thousand. Uh, you know what? And by the end, been, there was like a hundred. It might have only been 20, 25 about that time. By the end, there was like 150,000 people. I was on the bus reading the news about the protests, about the Capitol, yeah. about people flooding Madison. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. I wonder what that's. Oh, shit. I'm on the bus to Madison right now. I'm going to the heart of this. this. And I had no idea the club right was that there. close. Right there, dude. I walked around. I yeah. was listening and seeing what right the fuck there. was going down. Yeah, man. Crazy. Scott Walker. That's right. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. So, I mean, I've really just, um, you know, and the thing about Wisconsin is it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting state because, um, you know, for the, well, for the most just, part. Just to sum up what the, hell, what the hell happened with Scott Walker. It was he wanted to take away the collective uh, bargaining, bargaining rights, rights of, of teachers, firefighters, not firefighters and police at that time. Okay. He is now doing that Ooh. to police and firefighters. But the whole thing is about like, he's just trying to balance the budget, right? Right. It, if he knows what he has to pay these organizations, he can balance the budget. But if they know he, if they want it, if they make that call. I don't know what's going on. What? He do, Yeah. He stripped public sector unions. So that's, you know, your postal office workers, your garbage men, um, your teachers, uh, from there, he stripped them of their collective bargaining rights, which means they cannot strike, or they'll lose their jobs. They'll, they'll their contracts will be void. They can't strike. They can't um, demand higher wages. Um, and that's how. And then you freeze. You lock teachers in at a certain pay. Right. And then that's where it stays. And then you know how much you're going to pay them. And and that uh, in today's day and age, uh, for budgets go and what they're spending money on and who they're giving tax breaks to in the, you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in the state, in any state. I mean, balancing the budget on uh, teachers' salaries is, is just ridiculous. But, you know, it's uh, it's different ideologies. There is an ideology there. Um, it's not punitive. It's not, you know, I'm not, like you said, we've, we've lost the ability to talk to people that don't agree with everything that we say. And I have been so opinionated over my career. I've been my mother in front of that television screaming at that dumb fucking Republican. For many years of my life, I have been, I have I have <clears throat> attached a sense of str- uh, strength or power or superiority to my own ideals, mm-hmm. and that is not necessarily a healthy brand of passion to exercise. Mm. Um, what is healthy is having that discussion and being open to having somebody look at you straight in the eyes like you did say something definitive that will change you and change the way you look at things. You know what I mean? And I, you know, it's Madison has, has really, that's where I'm from, you know? So like, I care a lot about it. I go back all the time. I go back every Thanksgiving. I do a thing there. Um, and, and I love going back as many times as I can, but I'm just saying it's, it, it the last couple of years has really, has really kind of, it's been part of, and w- you know, when you said, what do you want to talk about on the show? Passion. 
that is one of the things is my whole life I've always been very, very, well, not like not as well read as I should be on politics, you know, um, I can tell I can tell you who the president of Syria is right now, but you can only get really well read, real, really well read in politics if you're in politics, and still not even or as in much. the in the media, right? And you're and it's your job to keep track. It's your shit. job, but a lot like it's kind of incredible how people like people who are elected officials, senators, congressmen, governors, do not read legislature. Yeah, yeah. but Rachel Maddow will. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, hmm, interesting. Even if you have a career in politics, yeah, yeah. you're still like, oh, I don't need to look at that. Or you have whole. some college kids. What was that, 800 you. pages? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the documentary Pollywood? No. Um, it, it's on Netflix. It's directed by Barry Levinson, who directed one of my favorite movies, Quiz Show. Uh-huh. Right? Sure. It's about a group of people called the Creative Coalition, which is a Hollywood cabal of political actors. And it they're going they go to the rnc and the dnc of 2008 right and it's people of very it's like you've got tim daly there you've got josh lucas you've got ellen burston who is a badass by the way um susan sarandon is there um all this stuff and the whole the whole point of the documentary is the relationship between hollywood and politics mm-hmm. and that politics has become more like hollywood than hollywood is like hollywood mm-hmm. that the that politics is a performance these candidates susan sarandon said it brilliantly in the documentary about she said it's like the advertising age in which things changed from the ads being about here's this thing and here's what it does and you get to decide whether or not you need that thing or not She's like, it turned from that to here's this thing and here's the lifestyle you will inherit if you buy this thing. She's like, they don't tell you what the product does. They tell you what you will gain if you have this product. And she's like, and that's what politics has become. She's like, these people aren't saying where they stand on certain issues, what they think about certain legislature. What they're saying is these are all the things you'll get if you vote for me, which I was like, ooh, that's good. That's really fucking good. Now, another thing that I really liked in it. Um, which kind of connects to everything we were talking about is um, Barry Levinson has this whole thing about tell television changed politics, you know, and there's a whole thing about the debates like Kennedy versus uh, Nixon that actually two years before that debate, Kennedy had written an article for TV guide in which he, which he talked about television as the demise of the political system as the demise of, of debates that, Instead of people saying what it is that their stances are, what their feel is, like they're going to be playing to an audience mm-hmm. and that they're going to be the puppets of handlers who tell them how to talk, how to move, what to accentuate, and what stance to take, right? A couple years later, he destroys Nixon on television. Mm-hmm. He knows how to use television. But, and this is true, anyone who listened to the radio version of the debate lists Nixon as winning that debate. Yeah, I've read that. Anyone who watched it on television lists Kennedy as winning that debate. Yeah. Right? Now, he talked about that. I think it was going into the war, and it was just, I can't remember what senator it was. Well, Kennedy was better looking, and Nixon was sweating badly. Sweating badly. His makeup was all over Yeah, exactly. He's not a good-looking guy. But ever since then, it's like a president has to kind of look a certain way. That's how Reagan happened, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like, that guy's already an actor. You know, we know we can we can we can figure this out. Perfect. So he talked about I don't remember exactly oh Robert Byrd. Senator Robert Byrd, right? He's an old senator 
liberal West Virginia. Yeah. Interesting, passionate guy. Right. So when there were hearings on whether or not to have the wars that we're in right yeah, now, it was great. He gave an impassioned speech on the floor. I had that posted on my MySpace page. Now, this is what Barry Levinson pointed out. It was on C-SPAN, right? You zoom back, the fucking floor is empty. Empty. No one's there. Right. No one is there. Nobody. He's like, so everyone basically just, He's, he their opens aides, his, everyone's aides are watching. He opens his speech with that. Everyone's aides are watching his speech. So, something like the halls of Congress are eerily empty, Mr. President. Ooh, ooh. See, that's good. Yeah. And when you look at him, when you watch the, the, the latest hit Lincoln or you watch uh, the John Adams, where it's like you see the Congress together having a fucking debate. They're all there. They're all yelling that you can be moved by someone's words, you know, as a human. You can be moved by someone's stance on a subject, them illuminating you and be like, wow, I didn't see it that way. You know what? I no longer support this war. war. This man has moved me. Right. But no one was there. Right. Their aides watched it. And when they when they're when they're it's like, so what did what did Bird say on the floor today? Ah, uh, he just said what he says. He was pissed. He's pissed. He's anti the war. Oh, OK. That's not the same thing. That was a point that Barry Levinson points out, mm -hmm. which I was like, that's really interesting. Yeah. That it's just kind of like no one feels the need to actually be present because they have people that can tell them what they saw. But they're just going to. Say what uh, he was like. Yeah, he was, he was kind of passionate and old, and he said he he didn't want to go to war. Yeah, that's what he would say. Oh, okay. Well, I'm still going to go to war then. Yeah, that's what I figured. But instead of being there next to Robert Byrd and being like, "This is why we shouldn't do it," it's like, "Whoa, yeah, fucking I, I'm, I'm convinced." And I, I, I uh, you know, I've for for as long to as be influenced by someone's passion. Yeah, and and that is that is um, that's really attractive to have influence and to and to and to to express yourself clearly to be, you know, compelling and and uh, you know I think all any anybody who's going to go up on stage as often as as comedians do I think you have you know leadership tendencies you know they might they might be. Um, just a, you know, they might be they might pale in comparison to the <clears throat> the desperation that they're in uh, that they're coupled with, but they're in there, and and I felt like uh, in in tandem with these kind of uh, this kind of heartbreaking thing that's kind of shaking my own political. Because my mom and my my parents are really upset about my dad's a public school teacher in in Madison, and so like that is making me kind of. Oh fuck, man! You know, like, have I just been talking to hear myself talk all these years? Like, I'm not going to do anything about this. I'm not going to go into politics. I was never going to go into politics. You know, I didn't go to law school. Am I willing to commit myself? You know, how opinionated am I going to am I going to be if I'm not willing to commit myself to actually do something? You know, and I always, you know, have tried to have a message or be somewhat have some social commentary in my act. You know, and hopefully, sometime uh, in my career, you know get an audience big enough for that to be impactful and use comedy as a way to be, uh, to affect people and, and do that, you know, and, um, and make people listen, you know, even if that's something that we're trending away from, you know, I think that is, um, you know, at least somewhat gives me some sense of, of purpose, but, um, that's not popular right now in the industry. And so I've gone away from it. 
um, because I'm, I, I need to be successful in my career. And that is something that got in my way. Uh, I, I think, and I also, um, I mean, I think it's something that got in my way. You know, I think um, that in, in comedy today, there's um, a couple institutions of significant political discourse. It's The Daily Show. It's real time. Um, and it's now it's totally biased. Colbert and Tol I say Colbert too. Colbert. Well, Colbert's the best. Mm -hmm. Colbert's just the best. And the writing is the best. And he is amazing. That character will go down as one of the greatest of all time. Um, because it is a character. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. His commitment and knowledge of that character. But then also Colbert, as, as is true with Jon Stewart as well, they're not married to the left. Like, it's like both of them can take out, take the piss out of both sides, where it's just like when, when something is just wrong or not getting done. They're married to the left. Well, but they're very, they're, they're, they're they, very comfortable critiquing it. Yeah. They're, they're comfortable critiquing it as well. It's just the, the rights of a larger target. It is a larger target. And it's hilarious. And it's so rife with contradiction. But I know this, like, look, Obama's not perfect at all. You know what I mean? He's a politician. Yeah. So it's just kind of like politicians make mistakes. Politicians yeah. do politics. Yeah. And sometimes they end up they end up fucking one person over, so that way they can hold up two other people. Yeah. It's. It would be fun. It'd be fun. I mean, those are, those are those are coveted jobs in the business. Mm -hmm. you, know? you mean to write on? Sure. Yeah. Mm. I mean, to be on staff at the Daily Show. Well, look, if you guys are Daily Show Colbert, real time. <laughs> <laughs> totally biased. If you motherfuckers be staffing, <laughs> Nate Craig make motherfuckers be laughing. You need another white guy? You need, do you need another white guy? <laughs> <laughs> that should be on your business card. <laughs> Nate Craig, do you need another white guy? I mean, I'm pretty sure that's on several Nate white Craig, because you need cards. another white guy. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, Nate, this has been an incredibly informative, interesting, and long conversation. Good. And we will do it again. Great. That was Nate. Don't hate. Participate. Yay. What? Um, again, Los Angeles Podcast Festival this Saturday, guys, October 5th at 6 p.m. Hassan Minaj, uh, Dave Ross, and Dr. Pierre Grimes. It's going to be fucking fascinating. And I am intimidated by this guy. I need to fucking bone up a little bit on what he's doing. Uh, I unfortunately am not as familiar with Socrates' work as I should be. Which, um, which I know is some people are like, oh, it's actually Plato's work. It's not really Socrates. And okay, all right. If you're a person that says it's actually, as the first two fucking words in any sentence you said, I want to kick you in your genitals. But what ifs? It's going to be fucking uh, fucking fa fascinating. Um, and I hope you guys come out. Um, and of course that will be up soon. Once I, once I get those recordings, uh, I'm, I am going to probably, depending on how long the conversation is, I'm going to break it into two parts, but it might just be like, boom, here it is guys. First live deep shit. I got an idea for the structure I'm excited about. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, and again, when you listen to this podcast, send me some philosophical questions, just some, some existential existence, esoteric questions that you've been pondering you know some people have been doing this and uh, i'm going to be able to ask them 
to an actual philosopher. <laughs> oh, Jay-Z crazies, guys. All right, I'll talk to you later. What? <laughs>